All right, welcome everybody. Episode number 56 of Sports Cards Live. And before we get into it, I do want to thank last Wednesday's guest, Ryan Johnson, also known as Card Collector 2 on Instagram. We had an amazing, amazing episode, so check that out. Also want to thank last Saturday's guest, Irving Minera of the Mustache Breaks. I also want to thank the personal finance dad, Dustin, for joining me on After Hours. This coming Saturday, joining me is Steve Menzi and Mitch Edelstein, from the Sports Card Expo, and next Wednesday will be Joel Alpert, hobby veteran and player agent, joining me. I want to thank all subscribers. I want to thank all of my loyal viewers. I appreciate you all so very much. I want to welcome any new viewers that are joining tonight. If you have not yet subscribed to the channel, I would greatly appreciate it if you would. That would be quite awesome. Thank you very much for that in advance. I do want to thank Jeff Wilson for joining me tonight and for publicizing his appearance on the show. So thanks to Jeff for that. Stick around. At the end of the episode, we will be doing the Sports Cards Live 5 and the PC card of the day. And as always, your comments and your questions are in play. So let's get to tonight's guest. He dis- And I'm going to do my intro here. He discovered cards in elementary school and collected through high school, anticipating the Beckett magazine in his mailbox each month. At 14 years old, he realized his lifelong dream of working at a card shop in Sarasota, Florida. After high school, he was distracted from the hobby by building a family and business until 2017 when his son Reeves came home with some football cards and he was quickly swept up by the nostalgia and realized there was fun and profit to be had. He launched Sports Card Investor and Market Movers in 2019, is a fan of the Florida Gators, Atlanta Hawks, Falcons, and Braves. He collects Tim Tebow and Trey Young, originally from Florida, now hailing from Atlanta, Georgia. Let's bring him out. Jeff Wilson, welcome to episode 56, Sports Cards Live. How are you doing today, man? Jeremy, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, man, it's my pleasure. Thanks for making the time tonight and joining us. So, I like to jump right in with what I call the jump ball question, Jeff. So we're going to we're gonna jump right in and I'm going to say to you, you know, with respect to the collector-investor dichotomy, are we all one or the other or can we be a bit of both? How do you, how do you view that and, and where would you say yourself fits into that? Yeah, that's quite, that's quite the controversial question, isn't it? I mean, you know, the collector, a lot of the longtime collectors seem to hate the new investor crowd coming in to a degree. And some of them don't because they appreciate the fact that the investors are driving up the prices of what the collector's collections are worth. But there's, you know, there's this constant kind of undercurrent between collecting and investing. In my opinion, you can absolutely be both. I think most investors are also collectors. And personally, I'm evidence that you can be both because I have, obviously I have a large investment of cards that I bought for investment purposes. I've got a large, uh, you know, investment collection, but I've also got a lot of cards that I bought just for collecting purposes too. I've got a huge uh, collection of like cards of Florida Gator players who have made it into the pros. I've got a big, I've got a big Tim Tebow collection. In fact, maybe we'll get into it in a little while. I got some of them sitting next to me here, but I got a big Tim Tebow collection Obviously, Tim Tebow is not a guy I would recommend from an investment standpoint ever, but he's a guy I enjoy collecting. So I I love the hobby. I love the fact that you can both collect and invest. And sometimes those paths cross as they have for me with Trey Young, because I'm here in Atlanta. I love going and watching Trey Young play. I'm a collector of Trey Young cards. I'm also an investor in Trey Young cards because I think Trey Young is a sensational player who's got a great career ahead of him. 
Yeah, well said. And and I, I agree completely, Jeff. You know, I've said it before. We are kind of investors by consequence. I mean, we we collect cards and all, you know, it happened when the Beckett magazine first came out, as I alluded to in your intro. As soon as that first Beckett magazine came out, our cards were, were, were basically monetized at that point. So, you know, all of a sudden the card that you didn't think was much, now it's worth whatever, $60, $80. That, that's big money in the 80s if you're a teenager. So, you know, I think we become investors by consequence. And I'm with you 100%. You can be both. Love to hear what other people think. If you want to throw in the comments, like, you know, are you, people come in as investors, Jeff. And I think there's been dollar signs for a lot of people. So do you think that people can come in as an investor and then be almost converted to a collector, i.e. if the collector gene is in them but dormant, will coming in with dollar signs, will some of them convert to collectors as well? The people, you know, some of the people who are coming in for dollar signs are strictly only coming in for dollar signs. And they they want to be told what to do and told what to buy because they don't actually care to take the time to do the research or to actually become a fan of the cards. And people who come in it for that reason are are likely going to be disappointed with their outcomes. And it's it's true in sports cards, it's true in any other type of business. You cannot go into any business and expect to be spoon-fed information or take an easy path forward and suddenly make a lot of money as a result. That generally isn't gonna work no matter if it's business, no matter if it's any form of investing. Uh, now, I do think there is room in the hobby for ways to make it easier for people to invest in sports cards without having to necessarily understand the different sets and the different variations, because that can get complicated for people. But people who just want to come in and, you know, get the hot pick of the week and, and, and just buy the cards and not do any research on their own, you know, the, the, I, I, I prefer for those people not to stay around. I prefer for the hobby to inspire people to come in who want to do it for the investing angle, but also enjoy the collecting angle as well. Because otherwise, if you're just here for dollars, then go do something else. I mean, there's plenty of things that you can do in this world that you don't enjoy that you're just doing for dollars. Most people probably feel like their job is that. So why do it if it's not fun? So you should, the hobby is meant to be fun. Collecting is meant to be fun. So why not invest in something that is fun and something you genuinely love and care about? Right. And you know what? That's well said. And I'll add to that, that those people that maybe, you know, just want the dollar signs and maybe they do want sports cards in their portfolio, perhaps they're best for the the new fractional ownership businesses that we're seeing in yeah. that business model. That may, and I, you know, what? Yeah. a lot of people have said, well, fractional ownership is not, it's not collecting. You don't take, you don't get to hold the cards, enjoy them. And that's a big part of collecting. But I, I do, I'm with you on that, that if somebody wants to invest in the sports card hobby, but doesn't want to, to experience the learning curve, which is steep right now, maybe fractional ownership is for them. And on the flip side of that, Jeff, you know, we've got collectors. And I think what we've seen this year alone has turned a lot of collectors into investors. When you look at uh, a base Kobe rookie card that, you know, Kobe, LeBron, whomever, back, um, you know, earlier this year even was say at $150, now it's $1,500 to $2,000. I think a lot of people who were just casually collecting realize pretty quickly that they might now all of a sudden be uh, investors as well. Does that, anything resonate there with you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, how can you 
how can you as a collector say that you don't care at all about the investing angle or the value of the cards to me that's foolish because even if you truly even if you're truly not caring about the prices eventually your cards are going to be handed to somebody else maybe they're passed down in your family who know or maybe there's you know but somebody along the way is certainly going to care what your cards are worth and so if it's not going to be you and you're going to hand them down to your son i guarantee the first thing that's going to happen when your son eventually gets those cards one day is your son is going to go look up the prices of the cards and go wow dad was a genius because he bought all of these kobe cards when they were worth 150 bucks and now these things are worth ten thousand dollars each and oh by the way maybe i should sell these that's going to happen so as a collector you have to care about the investment side of things as well i think it's foolish not to i agree and you know you can you can collect a theme you can collect hall of fame rookies you can collect a, all the rookies from one team you can collect the lineup from the world series year for your baseball team whatever you want or the rookie cards of these guys but just because you're collecting something and you're at the same time putting significant capital into these holdings, you are a collector. But I've, I've said it. I always say if you're putting what is significant money to you into a card, you're investing. You're deploying that capital away from your basic needs into cardboard, which, as we've realized, has has actual these things have value there. There is a market for it, obviously. And the market is, is on a bit of a roll right now. So. I think we're on the same page there. I wanted to start off with something kind of, you know, very interesting because it's something that a lot of people are still, I think, trying to get their head around, especially more some of the more veteran collectors that have been on the, in the hobby longer that feel like it's sort of their jurisdiction in a lot of ways. And, you know, I've always said the hobby is a, it's a big hobby. There's room for everybody. Let's welcome everybody who wants to be in the hobby. Let's welcome as long as you're not committing fraud or lying, cheating and stealing. Welcome to the hobby and hopefully something in it sticks so that you stick. And that's kind of my, my outlook on it. So before we move on, I do want to hear a little bit about your history in the hobby. And then we're going to get into some more uh, meat and potato stuff. But let's just say hello to some of the people we have in the in the audience today. I want to welcome everybody to Sports Cards Live again. If it's your first time joining the show, thank you so very much for tuning in. Thanks again, Jeff, for publicizing your appearance on the show today. And if you wouldn't mind subscribing to the, to the YouTube channel, I would greatly appreciate that. Want to say hello to Ernie. Welcome to the show. Jeff, I had thought I'd sent it to you earlier, but I didn't. So there we go. Here you are now. Legion, welcome as always. Mike, good evening to you. Terry, hello to you as well. Yam, always good to see you in the show. It says good evening, Jeremy and Jeff. Absolute says, and hit that thumbs up button. Thanks again, Mike, for that. Uh, Matt says, you saved the best for episode 56. It's just a random number, but it's the it's the number that Jeff landed on tonight for sure. Adam, welcome to the show. Amish Dave Archer, good to see you as always. Enjoyed your, your live last night. Hello, collector versus investor. Good to see you. Welcome to Sports Cards Live. AO, how are you doing tonight? Chris B, welcome to the show. Dominic, welcome to the show. ADTR for life says Jeff. Oh, we, we didn't get your patented uh, your patented opening, Jeff. But you know what? You don't have to do it. This is this isn't your show. You're welcome to, but you don't have to. No pressure. Hello to Sports Card Live. Here, Here we, we are. <laughs> right on. Thank you so much, Rondell. Welcome to the show. To you, Tiger Jordan. Jeremy discovered your channel recently and love it. You're the best. Hey, thanks, Tiger. I really appreciate that. There's a hello, Paul. Welcome to the show. Jin Lim. Welcome to the show. Miguel, what are the best brands to buy of soccer cards? 
I mean, from what I'm seeing, it's like Panini Prism and that. I'm not an expert in soccer. Jeff, if you had to answer this question quickly, where would you uh, direct somebody? Um, I bought a bunch of 2016 selects recently. Uh, a whole bunch. I bought a bunch of um, cases. Uh, I like. I, I did it. For, I did it for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, that's uh, Pulisic's rookie card. And I like Christian Pulisic, uh, you know, he's going to be, I'm kind of looking forward and projecting into the future and seeing that, you know, he's going to be the star of the U.S. men's national team for the, for the next couple of World Cups. The World Cup is going to be here in America in 2026. So I like him for that reason. 2016 Select was his rookie year. I also bought that because I think Select's a great product, an underrated product. Certainly, though, people would tell you that World Cup Prism uh, from 2014 and 2018 are, you know, probably the most sought after cards, at least uh, unless you get into the super high end within the soccer card world. Although they have become so sought after that the prices of 2014, 2018 Prism got crazy, whereas uh, 2016 Select is still uh, somewhat attainable. Yeah, we learned today at the industry summit that soccer has really taken off. There were some representatives wow. from eBay there that they did a presentation today and they were showing uh, the growth in the market year over year by sport. And uh, and actually what happened year over year as of right now is that soccer overtook hockey as the fourth largest uh, sport within the hobby behind obviously basketball, baseball. Wasn't, wasn't that a, a crazy stat that now, Jeremy, you're a hockey guy. You're up there in Canada. Yeah. How, how did, how did that make you feel when they said soccer has passed hockey cards in terms of popularity? I, I'll be honest, Jeff. I don't, I don't love it. You know, I am a hockey guy. I collect all four sports. I, I dabble in, in some of the uh, tertiary sports as well, but um, yeah, I don't like to hear that because, you know, we often, you know, we're, we're lo up in Canada. We are loyal hockey fans. We're, we're hockey. You know, to us, it was never, you know, you grew up, you grew up hearing about cards. It was always hockey cards, this hockey cards, that it wasn't baseball cards, this baseball cards, that. So, you know, we also feel that hockey is one of the four major sports. Whereas when I see other, a lot of content, hockey is often ignored. It's baseball, football, basketball. And now I'm sure we're going to see more and more uh, soccer. So I don't love to hear it, but at the same time, I think there's opportunity in it and perhaps more opportunity than ever now, because it seems like it's, uh, it's not keeping pace with some of with the other sports. So. I mean, a lot of that probably has to do, you know, ESPN, I've noticed uh, here in America, ESPN's coverage, they have absolutely shifted to giving much, much more time to soccer than hockey. And it's not even close. Um, they, they, they cover like on sports center, they, they make sure to get soccer into sports center every single night and, and, and often spend a fair amount of time in sports center on soccer, whereas hockey gets, you know, much lesser of a mention, if at all these days. So that may have something to do with it. Yeah. You know, we, I've had the discussion before on, on this show and, uh, one, I, saw, I forget who said it. One of, one of my viewers or a guest said that, you know, one of the biggest reasons why hockey falls behind the other sports, you know, you look at basketball, how well it's marketed and you look at their relationship with with Nike and, and you know, the Jordan brand and all that. And I thought, well, why don't we why don't they just partner up with Nike? And the the, the, the response to that was, well, it's much easier to put your brand on, on running shoes than it is on ice skates. Everybody needs running mm -hmm. shoes, everyone or basketball shoes. Very few people in, in the in the United States, let's say need ice skates on a regular basis. So it's just, it's, I think it's a harder product to, uh, to market quite sim simple as that really for the sport itself. 
hopefully they'll get there. Hopefully they'll pick it up and we'll see more. Cause it is, you know, I watch all the sports to me. It's the most exciting sport going on. These players are, they're skating around 35, 40 kilometers an hour and they're handling the puck with their stick at these high speeds. It, it, the skill set is amazing. It, it And the action, you know, basketball is an end-to-end sport as well versus football and baseball, which are quite, um, you know, no offense to fans out there, but there's not a lot of action in those games. In baseball, what do you, what do you get? Three minutes of actual action throughout a whole game, right? So yep. I, I think hockey's got potential, but marketing needs to step up for sure. All right, I'm going to go through some more of the, uh, the, the welcome messages here. Uh, I'm going to skip a bunch, guys, but I want to thank everybody who is joining again. Says I uh, ADTR for life. Says started collecting out of love for certain sports, and thanks to guys like Jeff, I'm learning to in- appreciate the investor aspect. And that's the nice awesome. thing about the content providers is guys like Jeff, myself, and a bunch of others were able to share our experience and knowledge with with people who are new. And I think people like Jeff and myself welcome everybody to the hobby. We are not um, territorial. I-, I won't speak for you, Jeff, but I'm not territorial like. Like I've seen some people be in the hobby. And I think it's important that we welcome everybody. Oh, look, look! From an, as an investor, you want you want you want everyone coming in. That's what has right. fueled all the growth of everything over the last year. I mean, it's it's you know uh, you know rising tides rise all boats, right? I mean, that's you know it, it's absolutely been true. And even hockey has been has risen with the tide. So yeah. it's not like it's left behind. But you're right. It, it, that's exactly exactly how I see it as well. Uh, Patrick says, I came in as a collector and Jeff taught me how to invest. Now I fund my PC with investment gains. And that's, that's one of the great approaches to the hobby is when you can, you know, flip a few cards, make a little money to cover what you want to spend. And in essence, build your collection for free. Maybe make a little bit of money along the way too. A uh, collector versus investor says, Jeff, you were bold in 2019 to say sports cards and investor in the same sentence. Today, YouTube is full of investing in sports cards. We are, we or have a dual in, we all have a dual collector investor in us. I think I think I think 99.9% of us do have the duality within us. There's only a few people that are on one extreme or the other and I, I can't even comprehend what that would be like, but I definitely have the investor gene in me. And it's in a comment the comment there it, it is incredible the growth of YouTube in the hobby. I mean obviously Jeremy I know your show is about 6 months old. There's been a lot of tons of content creators that have come to YouTube over the last year. And yeah, I mean, when I first started putting out Sports Card Investor in July of last year, there was really nothing out there like it on YouTube. There were, you had, uh, you had a lot of breakers on YouTube, but you really didn't have much in terms of people talking about sports cards, especially not from an investment standpoint. Um, and of course now there's, there's a ton of it and I think it's great. I, I welcome it. I, I, you know, it's, I, I think it's good for the hobby. You got to have more voices. You got to have more people talking about cards. You got to have more shows. You got to have more opinions again. as I just said a minute ago, like rising tides rides all boats. So when other content creators come along and start putting out shows, I applaud them. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, the more, the more content, the better. And what it does is it challenges everybody, myself included to make your shows better to put more time into them, to put more quality into them, to invest in them, to have better data, to have better analysis, to have better sets, to have better lighting, to have better sound, all those types of things. So again, competition, a very healthy thing in any industry. And um, I I mean, I wouldn't even call it competition. I don't feel like the shows are all competing against each other, but the very fact that there are other shows out there forces everybody to think about like, hey, what's my unique angle? How am I gonna make this something that people want to watch you know we could go on and talk about that for for an hour but it's um it's been a cool thing for sure 
Yeah, I think I think so. What I'm hearing in, in a lot of that is that you know, um, community, right? The hobby to me is community. I've, I've been in the hobby for 40 years, and I've got some of my best friends are, are via the hobby, and I'm thankful for that. And even the YouTube content, you know, it's funny you said my show is only six months old. And I'm still early. You know, I'm not as early as you. You started yours, I believe, in, in around the summer of 2019. And I stumbled across the Sports Card Investor YouTube channel because I was I was hungry and thirsty for content. I love the hobby so much. I wanted to consume everything I could. And I came across your channel and uh, subscribed. And that's how I became aware of you. And I followed the journey through where we are till today. But community is one thing. And then it's approach, right? Everybody has to figure out how they're going to approach the hobby. I've been setting up a card shows for 15 years. And one of the best parts about that experience is when a collector comes to your booth, you know, instead of just trying to sell them some cards or, or buy cards from them, I'm always curious as to how do you approach the hobby? Because that's what makes it quite interesting to me is learning what other people do and how they how they approach it. Let's keep on rolling through. Adam says, being yeah. both an investor and a collector is the best way to attend high-end cards. I think it's definitely a part of, part of it for sure. Uh, we're not going to go through the different levels of Bowman right now. We might come back to that. Tiger Jordan says, totally agree. Investors by consequence is true for me. The investment piece helps afford me the ability to acquire cards for my PC. I couldn't otherwise acquire. Makes good sense to me. Jordan Johnson says, everybody wants their collection to go up in value. And as a result, you will have options to sell. It's good to be both and to have options. Yeah, I agree. This all makes good sense. I am, whoa, we are way... So Jeff, you brought you brought a big audience to this show, the biggest one I've ever had. So I have oh, to apologize for the viewers. I just can't get to all these comments. I'm so I'm going to run through, and then we're going to get to some more discussion. But I'm not I want to I wanna give it. I want to give a shout out in the chat. I see Ziggy. No, I want to give a shout out to Ziggy because he's the one who set us up to get together. He's been a he's been part of the sports card investor team. He's helped our uh, the growth of our Facebook group, which has been awesome. And if, if the audience hasn't checked it out yet, we've got a free Facebook group, public Facebook group. You can get to it by going to sportscardinvestor.com. It's free to join. You just talked about community. It's a great, it's a great community. Uh, and I also wanted to give a shout out to Kelly from my team. She's our VP of marketing and she's, uh, she's done an awesome job and she was one who helped promote it today, uh, which, you know, obviously got a lot of the people joining live. Yeah, well, thanks to Kelly for that as well. And thanks to Ziggy for setting that up. And guys, Ziggy has his own YouTube channel called Ziggy No, so be sure to check that out. He does a daily hobby update. So for someone like Danny Levitt, who says, I need to learn this business, I trade stocks every day, need to learn this. There's lots of content out there. I, I recommend also this one here, The Personal Finance Dad. Dustin, a great YouTube channel. Check his out as well. And Dustin, welcome to the show. Also, Jake, 90s b-ball cards. If anyone's interested in 90s basketball cards, this is the guy... I call him the guy, I say he knows the, he, I forget how I put it when he was on my show recently, but he, he's the, he's the go-to guy on the what, for the what is what when it comes to 90s basketball cards. So check him out. Uh, Angel B, welcome to the show. Jordan Johnson. Hi, Dustin. Okay. When you, <laughs> sometimes they talk to each other in the comments, Jeff, and I I'll click it by accident, but it's okay, guys. I'm glad everyone is here and communicating. We're going to get into some more stuff right away here. Clayton says, do you have any tips for a new investor with $100? You know, that's an interesting question because of the, the, the quantity of money we're talking about. Jeff, do you, how, would you, how would you advise someone coming into the hobby with $100? Yeah, one of, one of, the, one of the things I like most about the hobby is you can, you can play ball at any dollar range. So, you know, oftentimes in my show, I talk about cards that are graded and they're rookies of key players and they're prism or, you know, and so the cards can be expensive. So I'm talking, showing charts of cards or a thousand bucks or something. And, and, but I, 
but you can you can have you can start with less than a hundred dollars or less than fifty dollars and you can still acquire these players and you can still see the types of gains from a percentage standpoint if you were coming in and buying thousand dollar cards or or more uh and so that's that's a cool thing about the hobby so what i would do is I, the basic philosophies are are still generally the same in my opinion you want to invest in in players who matter who are going to make a difference who are going to do great things you need to decide if you want to how risky you want to be with your money because do you want to gamble the money on rookies and prospects and guys who could be the next big thing then maybe go buy some rj barrett right now because he's a guy for example who's kind of fallen out of favor with the current rookie class because you had zion and Ja who are dwarfing him and then you had tyler hero now who's kind of risen up above him and so rj barrett's that, that kind of down kobe white even maybe has inched above him. So he's kind of all of a sudden down in fifth place, yet the Knicks have a new coach. The Knicks are gonna run a different scheme next year that's gonna feature RJ Barrett. He's gonna be on the court a lot. They're gonna be an up-tempo team, a high scoring team. He's gonna play a lot of minutes. I think he might have the opportunity to shine. So if you're willing to take a little more of a risk, maybe you go for for you know younger guys like him. And you may not be able to afford his, his prism, certainly not like his prism in PSA 10 or anything of that nature, but you might be able to pick up one of his prism cards in raw. Or what you might do is you might look to some of the less expensive sets, pick up his base card in optic, pick up his base card in revolution, pick up his base card in select, pick up, you know, th these are sets that are a little more under the radar, not quite as much value uh, in terms of the, the current price, but I think a lot of value in terms of what those sets could do. Another strategy you could take is you could take uh, you could look look for raw cards that could hopefully gem out at a PSA 10 and, and you know, do the game of buying the cards inexpensively, sending them off for grading. Of course, you got to be real careful about that. There's a talent required in really evaluating the cards to know if that's going to happen or not. But I think a lot of the same strategies just apply. You just have to shift your focus to different cards. There were guys who made a killing buying parallels and, and modern day cards of of hall of fame type players uh or or current players who are um later in their career just this year so for example let's say you've got less than 100 dollars and you wanted to buy steph curry well you're not going to afford steph curry's tops rookie cards even in raw form you know you're not getting into those cards for that price point uh but what you might be able to afford is you might be able to afford some pretty cool steph curry insert cards from the last few years or you might be able to get his optic hollows or his prism silvers from the last three years uh, for 15 bucks, which is what they're, which is what they bid at 15 or 20 bucks. Um, and so you can still invest in Steph Curry. You're just investing in a more modern card, you know, that type of thing. Uh, so I, there's plenty of places to play ball, no matter what your price point. There is. And unfortunately, with $100, if you are a basketball fan and you're looking to invest in basketball, you are already at this point in, in the hobby in, in October 2020, you are priced out of quite a bit of stuff that you might not have been priced out of a year ago. So like like you said, Jeff, you want to be looking for maybe cards of players you like, you feel have potential from lower end sets that you are not yet priced out of. But $100 at this point, it's there are... There are opportunities out there, especially if you're going to pick a player who is going to you feel will, you know, is undervalued. That's a good one. And uh, but, you know, again, one hundred dollars isn't going to get you very far right now. And that's just that, that's just fact of the matter. That's just the state of the hobby. But again, there are things that you can do. There are still opportunities out there.
All right, Mitchell, Mitchell Robinson. I noticed someone in the chat said Mitchell Robinson, TTS Gaming. I actually, I actually really like Mitchell Robinson. His cards have. I, I actually own a bunch of Mitchell Robinson. I was buying last offseason. I was buying a lot of Mitchell Robinson. Uh, he's the center for the New York Knicks, and um, and part of the reason that I was buying a lot of his cards was because the advanced analytics on the guy are incredible. Um, and unfortunately, he didn't. His card prices didn't do much this year. They lagged way behind most of the hobby. The Knicks were horrible, um, and uh, but he's he's the type of guy that you know if if the Knicks can gain some momentum, he he's the type of guy who could shine a bit. Now he doesn't have the same outside shooting. You see some of the other bigs, um, you know, who are you know like a Jaron Jackson or those types of guys. Anthony Davis, obviously, we just saw in the finals, who goes out to the three line and is chucking up threes and everything like that. Mitchell Robinson isn't—he's a little more of a throwback in that regard, and so that's always going to affect his prices somewhat. But his numbers are outstanding. So find a guy like that, take a chance on a young up-and-coming player, and uh, and you can get into Mitchell Robinson cards easily for less than hundred bucks, a bunch of them, uh, and and yeah, see what happens. You, you just got to find somebody that is untapped at this point, still untapped that has the that has the potential for sure. Okay, let let's. Uh, let, let's get into some more about you, Jeff. I mean, you've, you've been in the hobby now. You've been back in the hobby since 2017. You're going strong for three years. Give us a little bit about your your history in the hobby back from when you were a kid. Like, what was, what, do you remember the first time you saw cards, what it felt like? And just kind of take us through pretty quickly from, you know, your first memory of cards up until when you started Sports Card Investor. Yeah, I got into cards really young. Like I was, I, I think I was like in second or third grade uh, when I got, when I really got into cards. It was 86. Like if I look through the cards that I own, the first year that I've got a bunch of cards from is 86 tops. So that tells me, okay, 86 is when I got into sports cards. I would have been in second grade. So, I mean, I was really young when I started buying sports cards. Then I have a ton of 87 tops. And then I got a bunch of 88, 89, 90. And, and you know, that's kind of the, 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 you know, most of my collection uh, from when I was a kid were those years. So I, you know, I was big into it in elementary school, middle school, um, and I continue to remain involved in it. So my first job, when I turned 14 years old, uh, that's when in the state of Florida, you could work legally. And so literally the day I turned 14 years old, I told my mom that I wanted to get a job at a baseball card store. That was like my dream job. Because uh, I was crazy about it. That's what I wanted to do. And so my mom drove me around at 14 years old to the local baseball card stores in Sarasota. And I ended up I ended up getting a job at one. It it didn't it didn't work out. That's a whole that's a whole nother story. But I was my first official job ever was at a baseball card store in Sarasota, Florida uh, at age 14. So yeah, so I loved it the whole way through. I then totally lost touch with it as I got older in high school. Um, I stopped collecting. I stopped paying attention to it. Went off to college. Then after, you know, working family, though, I paid zero attention to sports cards until about three years ago. And uh, that's when my son came home with uh, some football cards when he was visiting his grandmother, uh, my mom. And I was looking through the football cards with him. I'm like, oh, man. And they were new ones that she had bought him. I think I like Target. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't even know they made these anymore. Like I was totally detached and, and, but I'm looking through the cards. I'm like, oh, these are, it's funny. They, you know, they're how they make these today. It's a little different than when I was a kid. Of course I pull out my old cards. So then I started to get a little interested. So I take them to go buy some more cards. And then all of a sudden I start learning, wait a minute, there's all these different brands now. And some of them I'm recognized. I mean, I, you know, I went into the, 
I saw, oh, well, there's still score, you know, that's still a thing. There's still Donruss, that's still a thing. Like, you know, but oh, wait, they're not owned, they're, wait, they're owned by this company, Panini now. What's this about, you know? Um, and so I started researching it. And as soon as I started researching it, I'm like, oh my God, this is going to become huge again. I knew it right away. I just, there, I, I, I knew Jeff, it right away. Was was there something that, that re was there a single thing that really made you know that right away? Like, what was it that made you think this thing could blow up? Yeah, it was the it was the combination of uh, realizing that the manufacturers are making cards so much smarter because they're building scarcity into the product. So it was when I started to realize, wait a minute, this card is serial numbered. You know what? Wait, you know, wait, wait a minute. There's an autograph in every box, guaranteed. You know, wait a minute. Why is this card shiny? It's funny. I I remember the first time I pulled a Prism Silver. I didn't realize, I argued with my son. My son was, I think, seven. We were opening a box of, I think it was 2016 Prism basketball. And um, he pulled out uh, a, we were going through the pack. And this one card was, he said, dad, dad, that's a rainbow card. And I'm like, no. And he's like, no, 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 dad, that one's a rainbow card. I'm like, it's not a rainbow card. What are you talking about? He's like, no, look, it's shiny. It's like a rainbow. And I'm comparing it to the other cards. And I'm like, I don't think it's any different. He's like, no, no, that one's shiny. And I'm like, I, I think, I think it's just the, this one got printed with a little more gloss. Like that's literally, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't know. And then I learned later that, wait a minute, there's, there's this thing called prism silver. Like, oh, wait, wait he was right. You know? Um, but it's what, so it was when I learned about that, and then it's when I realized how big of an influence grading was all of a sudden on the hobby and how different that was from when I was a kid because that ensures quality and allows you to transact over the internet and know what quality you're getting. And then when I saw how big trading cards were already getting on eBay yeah. and I realized how liquid trading cards were as a result. Yeah. Um, and, and then when I learned about breakers. So it was kind of this combination of like, you know, and I, I mean, I learned probably all of those things like within a day of each other because, I, you know, I started diving in and doing Internet searches and doing research. And I literally was like, oh, my God, like this is so much better than it was when I was a kid. And like you could buy an online breaks and that's like so compelling. You can sell your cards instantly on eBay and get out of them right away as liquid, which it wasn't when we were kids. Grading ensures the cards you're buying are of a certain quality level and you're not buying cards that are all beat up and mangled and you just can't tell from the photo. And then the serial numbering ensures you're buying cards with scarcity. I'm like, whoa, this is going to be huge. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, uh, and you know, you were right because three years later, here we are and the, the market is exploding. So you, uh, you saw the opportunity and you decided you were going to execute one way or another. And that manifested in the form of the Sports Card Investor website, which is more than, I mean, there, there's several different uh, modules, if you will, within the website. I'm curious, the, your original vision for Sports Card Investor, how has it changed since you, you rolled it out, since you launched it in 2019? What was, what was the original vision and what's the vision for it now, Jeff? That's a great question. So, so when I got hyped up about cards, I then wanted to start to learn as much as I could about them. And I was really disappointed 
with first of all the lack of content around the dollars and cents behind cards there were actually a number of good podcasts out there about cards but they they mostly talked about the cards more from a hobby standpoint they talked about like i listened to the mojo breaks podcast all the time back then uh it was more you know more a little more in its earlier stages and um and uh, it was a great podcast very educational but it was it was more about like what are the new releases who's hot right now it, it wasn't really it wasn't really about like this card is up this percent this card's down this percent this is what we're seeing in the market and um you know breaker culture was another podcast i listened to all the time he would do a little bit of that content from time to time it would be sprinkled in but then he, he would have like a lot of other it was a big variety of content and so i was like man i want more of that content the other thing that i wanted more of was I wanted data, I wanted charts, I wanted analytics, and it did not exist anywhere. So what I would do, and th this is before I you know, started creating my own content, what I would do is I would literally go to eBay and I would be like, I'm interested in investing in you know, Devin Booker. And I would go to eBay and I would, I would try to find, I would go through and find all of his recent sales and I would, I would scrape the, you know, them off of eBay. I would move them into a spreadsheet. I would build, I, then I would have to remove all of the outlier sales because there were so many of them that were not really the card you were looking for because uh, the eBay search results are, you know, can be full of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I would build these charts and graphs myself in Excel. And if you go back and you watch my early shows, uh, that's how I was doing it for my shows too. So I would, sh I showed graphs on my shows, but they were all graphs that I manually created in Excel that I would, I spent hours and hours creating. And so I, I said to myself, I'm like, okay, there needs to be better content around sports card from an investing standpoint. And there needs to be better data platforms, better data tools around sports cards from an investing standpoint. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to create it. I'm going to create both. And I debated originally, I debated, do I want to create the data platform first, which is now Market Movers, or do I want to create the show first and, and the website and, you know, that kind of thing, the articles and that kind of thing. And I said, I'm going to start with the content because if I can get the content going and build audience that first of all proves that there are other people out there like me that there are other people who want to think of sports cards from an investing standpoint and care about the dollars and cents. So it validates the market. And then the second thing it does is it gives me a built-in base of people who are watching me, who I can then market my products to, who I can then say, hey guys, I'm gonna go build this data platform. You know, Perhaps you would like to try it out and perhaps you would like to subscribe to it. And so that was the concept was, you know, hey, if I could build this show, will it prove that this that there's people like me? And of course, the whole time through, I wanted to build community around it. I wanted to not only prove that these people existed out there that think the way that I think, but I also wanted to provide a place for all of them to come together because there wasn't a place for these people to come together. So we started the Facebook group pretty early on. We started the Discord group really pretty early on. And I mentioned the Facebook group earlier, but our Discord chat is incredible, incredible. Over 10,000 people. It's uh, it, all these channels of all these different topics, every sport broken down. It's awesome. And it's so many people have made so many friendships through that and have done so many deals through that. And it's just like, people love the Discord. It's an incredible community. It's free to join. And again, you go to sportscardinvestor.com, 
go under community and you can join the discord totally for free. Um, so I wanted to do that too, because I'm like, I want to help bring the community together, help people connect with other people, give people content they're going to want to consume. And if all those things work, then I'm also going to build the data platform and hope that people subscribe to it as well. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's where we've come. Where we're going is this is just the beginning. And my team and I are already working on our next big product. Our next big product's going to be out fairly soon. Um, and, you know, we're thinking of a lot of different, I mean, we're honestly, we are sitting back and we are looking at every aspect of the sports card hobby. Like literally every aspect from, you know, how people buy cards, how people sell cards, how cards are graded, how cards are stored, how cards are, you know, how cards are, are preserved, every, every, every aspect. And we are looking to say, how could this be better? Yeah. And thankfully, I've been fortunate enough to build out a big team now at Sports Card Investors and very, very smart, talented people. And we're going to do some amazing things over the next few years. I mean, Market Movers is just the beginning. There's a lot more coming. Wow, that, that's uh, that's encouraging. And it's nice to hear. And I'm, I'm excited to hear what that what this next new product is. Uh, really exciting stuff. And there's definitely, you know, it, we're in an unregulated hobby here, an unregulated industry, really. Uh, we're, we're regulated by the card companies. and uh, And then there's some some influences out there like the Beckett magazine as an example but you know who can define what what a rookie card is as an example and I think that uh, a lot of things need to be evolved a little bit so I look forward to what it is that you're coming out with uh, LeBron 23 to 6 says do and this is a it's a it's a nice short succinct question but I think it's a great question he's asking do investors rip products I mean uh, Jeff, what what do you think of that? And I, you know, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a loaded question in a way because ripping products to me is is a gamble. It's a gamble. So, can these things coexist? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you you rip you rip product for fun. You don't rip product from it for investment purposes. Um, you're better off holding the wax sealed. And I, by the way, that's a great way to invest. I mean, to be quite honest. I am I am more and more coming under the mindset that if you really want to profit as an investor, you are better off buying sealed wax and holding it sealed than you are buying individual graded singles. Yeah, um, that, that sorry, Jeff, that does refer to like current day products, right? You're talking about modern products, really, because it's tough to find older unopened wax. I, you know, it's out there; you can well, find it. But it's tough to find. Do you, do you mind? Can you just sort of specify eras when you're on this particular answer? I think it's interesting. I can, and I've got to. I, I've got to address one question real quick because about a million people in the chat just asked: Is Market Movers still working with all of eBay's API changes? Yes, the answer is yes. Where Market Movers is still working, everything's fine. All the data is still available, still flowing in every day. We can talk about that a little more later. But in terms of in terms of wax. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been buying the, the, the most, the, the wax that I own the most of is 2012 basketball. Um, I have been buying 2012 basketball wax like crazy. Um, and it, I mean, in fact, there's a lot of it. This is all, this whole shelf here is 2012. But these are all sealed, by the way, this whole shelf here is 2012 basketball. Um, that's select from all the various years. This is all 2012 basketball right there. That's all, th that's all 2012 basketball over there. So, and then up above me, there's tons of it. Um, and, um, the, the nice thing about buying sealed wax is that it is there's, there's, so sealed wax is essentially, I think of it as buying a mutual fund of that year's rookie class. So for 2012 basketball, 
yes, you could invest in Anthony Davis cards, and I own several. Yes, you could invest in 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 Kawhi Leonard cards. Yes, you could invest in Bradley Beal cards. Yes, you could invest in Kyrie Irving cards. Yes, you could invest in Draymond Green cards. Yes, you could invest, et cetera, et cetera. Amazing rookie class in 2012. Um, uh, or I should have mentioned Damian Lillard too. Um, or you could buy sealed wax and the, the price of the wax is going to kind of rise as individual guys in that group rise because the wax is kind of a mutual fund. It's potentially a little share of all those individual guys. Um, but, but wax has one other, one advantage above that. And that is that by its very nature, wax over time becomes more and more scarce because as soon as I open that box, there's one less of that box that exists in the world, but you know what there's one more of? There's one more of whatever card I pull out of that box. Yeah. So if you think about it, over time, the population of let's say 2012 prism cards or 2012 select cards, the population of the individual cards is going to go up. The population of the availability of wax is going to go down. So by its very nature, if you buy and hold sealed wax, the scarcity of it actually improves over time, unlike cards where the scarcity of it actually goes down over time. So I'm a big fan of sealed wax for that reason. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, uh, I, I, get, I, get, I get a little fired up here. You brought me do. on the show. We're late, we're late at night, and uh, uh, I got to get a little fired up, right? Got to get a little yeah. energy going here. Well, hey, that's what this show does. It brings the energy. And I, again, we got a lot of viewers in the room right now. I do want to welcome you all to Sports Cards Live. I know I know there's a bunch of you that have never been here before because uh, I can see how many people we have, and it's a big number for this show. So I want to welcome you all. Thank you very much for joining. And please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, this show is all about interviewing people in the hobby from in industry insiders to collectors. Uh, it's a great roster so far. This is the 56th episode and I would encourage you to go look back into the library, see if there's any in there that interest you and, and check them out. They are long episodes. They do go about two hours long each. So bite them off uh, in chunks and uh, YouTube will always remember where you left off. And I have to apologize. My, my loyal viewers are used to me getting to just about every comment and question that's coming through the comment feed. Um, but this is this is a, this I'm, not, I'm just not going to be able to do that tonight. So I do have to uh, I do have to apologize to everybody for that. I'm scanning them and I thank you all for your involvement with that. And I know Jeff is scanning them too, and he will certainly, uh, you know, address questions that he feels are relevant. So Jeff, I'm curious, now that we've talked about the vision and what, what sports card investor is and what market movers is, here's a question that I was really curious about. You know, you come from the tech startup world, which is part of your opening on all your videos. I'm wondering, what did you, what did you bring from tech startup into the hobby with your, with the, with the sports card investor entity? Well, I mean, I think I brought the, you know, potential to kind of see the, you know, to see the investment opportunity, to see the future of what this could become. The, I'm, I'm, so when you, when you invest in a lot of tech startups and when you're around a lot of tech startups and, and I founded several tech startups, you are challenged to think three years out, five years out, seven years out and think what could this look like where could this go and could this company that i'm considering investing in how are they going to plug in in three years five years seven years and and is the market they're trying to go into what might that look like how might that change how might that evolve and how might this company be able to go along with it and so now with sports cards i'm looking at i mean you know i i, I first start off by looking at sports cards that way 
and saying, oh, I think these, I think this is going to become big, just in general, just sports card, the value of sports cards in general, because I, I, I thought that demand was just going to exceed supply for, for a long time. And I still do. I still think, I still think we got a long run ahead of us of, uh, of great days ahead for the sports card hobby. But then I started looking at the business opportunities. And honestly, I'll, I'll be quite blunt with you. For as big as the hobby was when I got into it, it was incredibly immature in terms of the businesses, in terms of the of the tools, in terms of the sophistication, incredibly immature. Um, I could not believe how much money there was in sports cards and how much dollars there was being transacted in sports cards yet how bad the marketplaces were, the dealers' websites were, the, you know, the uh, data tools to understand pricing was, the way, you know, the content was, it, like comparatively, and, and I'll, give you, I'll give you a comparison over to sports gambling, where there is an incredible array of really good content sites, data tools, or fantasy sports. Look at fantasy sports. I mean, think how many sophisticated, incredible tools there are in the fantasy sports world, how great the apps are, how great the ability to play daily fantasy is, how sophisticated all of that is, how sophisticated the content is about it. The shows are. It's on ESPN all the time. It's it's all very sophisticated. Fantasy sports has is, is become extremely sophisticated. Now, it wasn't that way 10 years ago, but it's that way today. Yeah. And I looked at sports cards and I said, oh, sports cards are where fantasy sports were 10 years ago. And sports cards are where sports gambling was 10 years ago. And in 10 years, sports cards are going to be where fantasy sports, fantasy sports is today. It's going to be extremely sophisticated. There's going to be, a, a you know, tons of great apps, incredible content. It's going to be on TV. I wouldn't be surprised if ESPN does a show about it. You know, I, it, it's it's. It's going to become this. And so as, as, a, as a tech investor, I think maybe I was able to see that a little bit just because I've been kind of around other companies and other industries that have kind of thought out and looked at the future that way. Okay. Yeah, absolute here. It says, after the industry summit, which wrapped up today, it's clear we are at the beginning of change in the industry. More people, more money, more opportunities. And, you know, we, we were both there today, Jeff. I don't know if you were there at the very end for Brian's gay, Brian Gray's uh, Gray's Anatomy address to the to the industry, and uh, he's extremely bullish. You know, he mentioned he mentioned that he's talking to hedge fund guys that are looking to put a billion dollars into this hobby. That's a number that you know we haven't mentioned before. It, it, it's kind of foreign to this hobby, but if that's the case, I think I think you probably spotted it early on, and. Um, but it's interesting when when you mentioned the immaturity of the of the hobby, the industry itself. I'm curious your thoughts on in terms of grading because I know grading is obviously very important. You noticed grading; it's one of the things that kind of made you realize just how serious the hobby was. What are your thoughts on on the? You know, obviously the grading companies are in, under they're in backlog right now. I mean, a, a lot of industries are in backlog right now with with the pandemic. Do you think that grading as it stands right now, never mind the backlogs, because that's just a processing issue, but do you think that it is where it eventually needs to be? Is there anything that any improvements that can be made to the to the grading processes that are that are out there or the 
the holders themselves, the subgrades? Are, are we missing some subgrades? Speak about grading a little bit. Uh, well, I mean, to the extent possible, grading needs to be done by computers and it's moving in that direction. Uh, I mean, grading needs to be, you got, you got to have artificial intelligence, you got to have machine learning. Grading needs to be, you know, a, a system that is, is really computer and artificial intelligence driven. We got to get humans out of it as much as we possibly can. It's too subjective currently. We've got to make it much more robotic in how cards are graded. Uh, what goes along with that, the turnaround time has to be uh, incredibly faster than it is today. I mean, I would like to see, like I, I, I have, I've, so one thought I've been thinking about grading and one thought I've had, and, and there are some startups that are playing in the machine learning space with grading, like vision, computer vision uh, to, to do grading. Um, one, uh, like a vision that I've had is like, you should be able to walk into your local sports card store with a pile of cards. That store should have a device that is, you know, kind of kind of like a scanner. They should be able to, to feed the card in or place the card gently, I guess, inside it. It should be able to scan the card, figure out what kind of card it is, look for surface defects, evaluate the corners, evaluate the edges, evaluate the centering, assign a grade, and it should immediately encase it, and it should spit it out the other side. And you should literally be able to walk into your local card shop with a stack of cards and walk out the door 10 minutes later with every single one of those cards graded by PSA or BGS or whatever company comes along to disrupt them because they move at this at this speed of snails, you know. And sounds, so sounds like that's what, it, that's what it should be. That's what it should like be. Heaven. That sounds like heaven to us collectors. And, you know, it's an, it's an interesting concept. And I hope we get there. I hope we can get there one day. I hope we can get there one day because to take people out of it would certainly make it a lot more efficient. That's that's for sure. Colts Jack has a really great question. What do you think is going to happen to sports card collecting investing once the economy rebounds? Jeff, I'll let you start with that. And I've got some thoughts of my own for afterwards. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that sports card collecting and when when people are passionate about something, when people are are doing something they're super passionate about and they love, the eco, the economy does not have that much of an effect on it. And I'm not going to say that the economy has no effect on it, but if you just simply look at the fact that our economy in the U.S. was horrendous in April, horrible and continues to be pretty dodgy today in certain areas, right? I mean, the stock market's good, but a lot of people are out of work and there's a lot of companies that are hurting tremendously. Yet, during that same time period, sports cards have quintupled in value. So, you know, it tells me, I mean, it's like they say, like during, you know, during recessions, sales of liquor go up, sin type things all go up during recessions. People, like to spend money on things that bring them joy, that bring them comfort, no matter the economy. So I'm pretty, I mean, I'm bullish on sports cards in good economy, in bad economy. Sure, maybe you'll see some curb to the, you know, real speculative investing, you know, people just throwing tons of cash in, in, a, in a weaker economy. But we've seen that the last six months when the economy has been somewhat weak. Yeah, the one thing I've noticed is that, and I think we've all noticed it, our hobby is resilient to general economic forces. It, it seems like we, you know, you you go into you go into the pandemic, shutdowns everywhere, people losing jobs, 
um, a lot of a lot of money being handed out by governments, and not not like it's enough money to go spend ten grand on on a sports card, but you know you're not enough for your sustenance. And somehow, I mean, I know I remember Jeff in the end of March, early April, I thought, oh no, what's going to happen to my sports card collection? It was worth some some value to me. I was I was thinking, do I need to start selling these things off now and and, and you know cut my losses? Well, I'm glad I was a little too lazy to do that at the time because everything, like you said, quintupled, quintupled in value, and that, that's great. So if there's one th- if there's one thing I've learned from this, it's that these might be the best for me. I'm speaking for myself. My sports card collection is likely my my strongest best investment I have. And when the economy falters, it seems like people they they reach for things that they're that make them comfortable, things that make them happy, and it's all based on the nostalgia, is what I believe. Nostalgia is at the, at the core of the foundation of the hobby. And, you know, we learned just how resilient uh, our collections are through this. So it makes me want to keep it. And we're going to see ups and downs. We're going to see cycles. We always have seen cycles in this hobby. And we're going to continue to see cycles. But, you know, the people always say, are we in a bubble? Is this bubble going to burst? And, you know, I've said to people, bubbles can go for a long, long time. They can go for decades before they burst. I'm not saying it's going to burst, but we're going to... we you can still have adjustments and, and, you know, the, the peaks and valleys along the way. And we're going to see that we might be seeing one just right now with some of the modern basketball, some of these players that are no longer in the bubble cards have come down because the expectations of them to win a title disappeared. They didn't win the title. So you're going to, you're going to see ups and downs within for the, for the general hobby itself. And then for certain players and teams within it, it's just the way the hobby works year over year over year as I've noticed myself in, in, in my time within the hobby. All right. Um, good stuff. So you, you do videos quite regularly on the YouTube channel and you do a lot of, I, I, you, a lot of headlines are like, you know, top five cards that I'm watching, or maybe I'm investing in or top five cards going up, top five cards going down. There's a lot of talk out there about top lists, top five lists, top 10 lists. Can you talk a little bit about Jeff, about um, sort of the, how you started delivering that particular content and what you're doing, how you've sort of uh, evolved that content to, to where you are today and where you're moving forward with it. Yeah. When I first started the show, I did a lot of content. Well, I did two types of content. First, uh, first of all, I did some kind of sports card one-on-one type content. Like, you know, this is how I approach investing. This is even some real basic stuff. Like, you know, this is, uh, you know, the most popular basketball card sets and the difference between the parallels. And for people who are just getting started, that's still really good content to watch. It's I've got a playlist on my Sports Card Investor YouTube channel called Sports Card Investing 101. And it's a lot of the early videos that I did around kind of the basics of sports card investing. But the other type of content I would do was I would do like a lot of like, hey, these are the five guys I'm investing in, or this is the one guy I'm buying, or these are the 10 guys I'm buying. And, you know, I would do a lot of that type of stuff. I don't do as much of that type of stuff anymore. I've shifted to uh, focusing a little bit more on the trends of the market itself. That's obviously every Tuesday I do my top five Tuesday, but that's not that's not like my top five cards that I'm buying. That is the top five cards that are going up in value. And I let the data speak for itself. I bring I bring data into the show. I'm big on data. I'm big on analytics. I also recognize that while I will sometimes do do shows still about cards I'm buying or cards I like, I recognize that because I have a big following now that sometimes, you know, if I I talk about a card, it it can have an effect on the market. 
And so I've wanted to step back from that a little bit. And I also want to encourage people to educate themselves. And like, I want to encourage people to make their own selections and not just be spoon fed information. So, so I, I vary that up a little bit. If I'm going to recommend cards or talk about cards I'm buying, I try to cover several because I want to, you know, give people options, variety, not have too much focus on any one particular card. As part of our market movers membership program, I do write a weekly column about cards that I'm buying and selling. But I also have several of my employees and, and other, other folks contribute to it. So there's a lot of different voices. There's a lot of different cards. It takes the emphasis off of, you know, pumping and dumping around any one particular card. In fact, we try to feature a bunch of cards in there just so it's and, and try to really take more of an educational slant to what we're doing. But yeah, we put out videos on our channel every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. We have been abs absolutely religious about that. We have not missed, we went to the three day a week, Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday rotation. I think we started that in February and we have not missed a single episode. We have done every single Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday every single one released on time. And that is key. If you're going to be a content creator to have that type of repetition, as I was studying, you know, cause before I did, before I did this, I never had a YouTube show previously. I'd never really done anything on YouTube previously. So I read quite a bit, you know, as part of educate yourself before you start doing something, I read quite a bit about what makes YouTube shows successful. And I, you know, there's a bunch of blog posts and everything like that. And uh, one of the things they say, you know, that a lot of people, the advice was you got to release on a consistent schedule and you can't miss. You can't miss. You got to do, you can't miss. You got to, you know. And so that's what I started doing. And I, and I, I it makes all the difference. It, it, it helps. It definitely helps um, because people know when the, when the shows are going to come out because we're doing it three times a week. We're always popping up with a fresh show you know, in people's uh, YouTube recommendations, you know, that kind of thing. And then um, I guess one of the things you also would have noticed when you, when you, in, when you really research what makes a YouTube show successful is that you want to keep your shows around that 20 minute mark. I did the same thing, Jeff, when I started the channel and the show I did, and I'm, I'm happy to say, you know, it, it affirms what I did. I did the same sort of research. How do you, how do you multi-stream? How do, how do you live stream? I'd never done any of this before either. And, uh, so I took a lot of the advice. The one piece of advice I did not follow, Jeff, was I keep my episodes to about 10 times as long as they're supposed right, to be right. for what's optimal. But it's because we just, you know, I have such great guests that come on every, and consistency I've managed to meet. I do this every Wednesday and Saturday night at, at 10 o'clock Eastern. It's just, you know, I'm in the, in the mountain time zone, so that's what works. But um, did some of that same research. Learned a lot of this, learned many of the same things. I, I don't have a team. I have a, you know, I, I, have, I have a job. I do other stuff. But uh, but I did follow a lot of that advice and, and it worked out well. It's built up a nice audience. And I, I mean, I know we have people coming in and out again. And I am getting a little repetitious if you were here at the beginning, but I do want to welcome everybody to the show. If it's your first time here, thank you, Jeff, for bringing so many new people to the Sports Cards Live YouTube channel. I do appreciate it. It's great to have you here. Nonetheless, you're very energetic. I knew we'd have a good time today, but I do want to welcome everybody, ask you to subscribe to the channel, all that. Check out the back, the back uh, library of episodes we have. Jeff, I'm wondering, you know, here's a question for you in terms of investing is, is there, and this is because I know this one, you're not going to, I'll let you just answer it. 
what percentage of net worth would you advise somebody to put into sports cards? <laughs> How much risk do you like to take? I, I you know, honestly, uh, when I when I first started buying a lot, you know, higher dollar cards, uh, my wife thought I was having a midlife crisis. And when the first time I told her I, I wanted to buy a card that cost fifteen thousand dollars which was, um, I bought a, a Michael MJ rookie card. Um, she thought I was absolutely nuts. Um, of course, now I have many, many, many times that <laughs> invested in cards. Um, it, it, you know, it comes down to your personal risk tolerance. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, sure. Investing in cards is, is riskier as a whole than other forms of investing you could be doing. Um, it has also been a lot more lucrative than any other form of investing you could have possibly been doing over the last few years. I personally think that lucrativeness will continue. I'm buying a ton of cards right now. The percentage of my net worth that cards are are becoming is going up and up as a result of that. But it, it comes down to risk tolerance. Uh, you know, if you want to, if you're a gambling type person, and 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 obviously if you've got the money to do it with. I mean, obviously you don't want to be taking food off your table or you know putting your family at risk but if you've got the money to be doing it with and you you like risk you like taking some risk and making some bets i think now is a really good time to be buying some basketball cards i really do um but there's there's no guarantee by any means i mean you're you're safer you're probably safer buying amazon stock you know so you know and it, it's so i you know i i'd recommend first don't don't cash out your 401k and go do it. I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, but if you have the appetite for a little bit of risk, I think it's a pretty good move. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because, you know, we say it comes down to risk tolerance and how risky sports cards are. However, sports cards, you know, the right sports cards have outperformed most other, you know, traditional conservative type investments over the past four decades. Let's say we see that we can see that data. It's quite easy to see. And uh, so, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm probably higher than most people in terms of uh, the percent invested, but it's been that way my whole life pretty much and things have worked out. So it's going to be hard to get me off of that. Um, okay, good stuff. I'm going to go to a few comments that we did have. Jo Jin Lim says, totally agree with the grading machine. Fa uh, Tiger says, fascinating idea about the grading scanner device. And, you know, it is a great idea. And of course, we're going to agree with it. Can it be done is the true question. Wanting something and something being technically possible are two completely different things. So yes, it would definitely help. And I love the vision, Jeff. I'm skeptical that we're ever gonna, that, that a computer will be able to grade a card. I'm skeptical that a computer will be able to pick up on surface imperfections. Uh, the size of the card, there's no consistency, even out right out of the pack. There is tolerance in sizes uh, from, right, out of, right from the card company. You can hold cards together that come out of the same pack and they're not always the same size. Some brands are, but not all the time. So it's going to be challenging, but I guess you build those tolerances in and you find a way for the machine to move the card around to catch different angles and have certain lights in there to pick up on different reflections. But I think we're a ways out, but I do like this comment uh, that came in uh, right here it says, uh, Jeff, since you invest in tech startups, does this mean that you're potentially working on this grading machine? No, I, I, I am not. Uh, I'm not working on the grading machine. Um, okay. I am I am a software guy. I am not a hardware guy. So I wouldn't, you know, there's a lot of hardware. So I'd have to partner with someone on that anyway. That's the type of thing that, um, 
I mean, first of all, really who should pursue that is obviously one of the big grading companies because they're going to have the capital to actually put into a project like that. It would be hard for a startup to compete at that type of capital level that like a, P a PSA, you know, should throw $10 million into pursuing this. But will they? Oftentimes the big corporate giants do not because they get kind of stodgy and comfortable with their position in the market and the startups have to come along to disrupt them. So hopefully a startup will emerge in this area. I have been contacted by some startups that are playing in the computer vision space, trying to assess cards with computerized scores. Um, however, they, you know, they don't have the hardware component either, which is, you know, which is, um, there, there's a there's a lot to grading. If I was if I were to get into grading, it would be through uh, probably an investment in another company. Um, it's I think it would be very ambitious to try to start your own grading operation um, or very capital intensive to actually build out that type of grading machine as a startup. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, and I agree. I, I'd love to see one of the one of the grading companies. Uh, you know deploy that capital into some R&D and come up with something that would that they could then scale it out by putting a machine in each of their dealers uh you know stores and someone could go in and they work out a business deal and um you're in and you're out boy that that's uh, someone made the comment earlier that they have to make a slab that is scratch resistant as well i completely agree with that there's nothing worse than a card comes in the mail from a purchase on ebay or elsewhere and you get it and there's scratches on the back or the front however I do have a, a product and it's it's over there. I'll, show, I'll, I'll If I remember later, I'll show you guys a product that you can actually put on your slabs and use some paper towel and it will clean up a lot of the scratches and scuffs that you will see. It won't, it won't seal it, an actual crack that's all the way through, but it will help. You know, I'm just going to reach for it right now. Yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice find because I, I agree with you. I have the same, uh, <laughs> I have the same pain. This stuff right here, guys, it's called Meguiar's Scratch X 2.0. I have no affiliate agreement with them. I've shown it before on the show, but I've whenever I get a slab with scratches, scuffs, I put a, a little bit of a, it's a white cream. I put a little dab of this on the on the on the slab. I take some paper towel, and you have to use a bit of elbow, elbow grease, not enough to obviously crack your slab, but you have to you have to use a little bit of elbow grease, and this will clean up those slabs. I'm telling you, it works. I've been using it for a while now, and it works really nicely. So. You're all very welcome for this tip. You can find this stuff on Amazon. It's about 15 bucks for this size bottle of 207 milligrams. So nice. check that out. Yeah, very it, cool. it's a great product actually. And it can be also be found in the in the car parts section of some uh, some stores like that. Okay, a couple comments here. Jake says, cards historically have done better in down economic times, but do worse in good economic times. I'm not smart enough to understand why, just the trends I've seen over time. Great observation. Thank you. Patrick says a massive new generation of collectors and investors is entering the market and will be for a while. I think we're in for a long and interesting run that's aligned with what we're thinking here. So totally far. agree. 100% agree. Agree as well. Uh, here's imagine a machine damaging a card though, right? Yeah, that, that's part of the risk. They got, they'd have to figure that out. Someone says, you know, LeBron 23 T06 says it will never get there, in my opinion. I'm also skeptical, but you never know. It might get there. Hopefully one day it gets there, right? It could get there one day. Kelly, welcome to the show. I think you said hi to her earlier, Jeff. But Kelly, good to see you. Thanks for joining. Send in your questions. You're, you're, you're part of the reason I'm being inundated with comments and questions here, but that's all good. That's all good. Sean Rob, welcome, says, I see graded singles make new highs. Can you, can you see complete sets demand catching up? particularly for vintage. I mean, 
Uh, Sean, I do not because complete sets are chock filled with commons. And if you're investing, I'm not a guy who wants to invest in commons. And when you go to sell, you see it all the time, even on PWCC auctions or probe scene or au traditional auction houses, you have the, the set break, you know, set break, massive auction, 1963 top set, set break. And they're listed off one at a time. So for me, no. Jeff, what do you think about that? Well, I would say the the exception that I would say to that is if it's a particularly iconic set. Like, for example, 1986 Fleer Basketball, the sets, I've seen complete sets of that sold. In fact, I've bid on a few and I haven't, I haven't won them. Um, but I've seen complete sets of that sold in PSA 8, PSA 9, PSA 10, where they literally have every single card from that set graded. That is such an iconic set that that selling the complete set has it, it they, they would sell for significantly more than the value of each of the individual cards you know yeah. if you were to buy them individually and that um, sorry sorry I, and I we had the chat i'm sorry to interrupt you, but that may be the only exception because it is so iconic and is chalk filled with hall of fame rookie cards so you know and it's a such a small set too it's 132 cards or something if you're talking about a 600, 700 card baseball base set from the 60s, it's a bit different. So, but I hear you. There are exceptions. And I think that 86 Fleer might be one of the only ones, unless you go into some real older vintage stuff, which could be uh, as well. Let's, let's go on to Patrick's comment here. He says, when Jeff and his team talks about what's hot and not, I pay very close attention to the methodology behind the decisions, including how to maximize the market movers tool. I think that's an excellent comment because what Patrick is saying here, Jeff, is that he's not just taking what you're saying at face value. He's listening to it. He's listening carefully. And then he's doing his own due diligence to make sure that, you know what, I agree with this. And I wonder, to my question to Patrick is, if he's been consistent in researching some of your advice in particular, Jeff, if he's agreed with everything or if there's been certain things that he hasn't agreed with. And I mean, Patrick might answer that or not, but that would be something that I'd really like to like to hear the answer to. Uh, well, hopefully, Tiger, hopefully, hopefully he hasn't agreed with 100%. My, I would say my advice has been pretty good, but I, I have had some misses, uh, including and, uh, before the football season, uh, one guy who I, I, I put out a thing and I said, um, I said, uh, I think uh, I think now's the time to buy Deshaun Watson. And then, of course, they completely fell on their face. <laughs> they poor one and five, fired the coach. By the way, none of that is Deshaun Watson's fault. Deshaun Watson is, from a talent level, the most undervalued quarterback by far uh, whose cards exist in the market today. I mean, the fact that his cards are like one-tenth of a Lamar Jackson or a you know Patrick Mahomes or something like that, it, it's almost criminal. However, I also recognize that the cards aren't going to be worth anything unless the team starts producing, and no matter how good he is, if the Texans are one and five and they're a total mess, then, you know, yeah. So that one, that one, unfortunately I missed on, hopefully he did his own research and advice on that one. Uh, but I do appreciate that. I want, I want what I, you know, put out, put out ideas and that kind of thing. I want people to, um, I want people to do their own critical thinking and, and listen to why I'm, I'm, I'm picking something. The reason why I was picking Deshaun Watson in particular was because I was doing a price comparison of him to other quarterbacks noting that Deshaun Watson wasn't much more expensive than like a Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield at the time. Uh, of course, those guys, well, Baker's actually done better. Sam, Sam Darnold, awful. Um, and so, but that was my point. My point is he should be a lot more expensive than Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. 
And I also liked the fact that they were opening up the season against the Chiefs and he was going to be in a spotlight game. And I thought that that perhaps they could deliver and it could be a big immediate boost for him. Of course, the opposite happens. Uh, the Chiefs totally shut him down. Texans looked horrible. Eh, you know, so it happens. It happens. All right. Brian says sports cards live equals cinema length and we all love it. Yeah, we go long on this one. Absolute says Wahoo 37. Smash the thumbs up button. Thank you, Mike, for, for those call outs. Yeah, hit that thumbs up button. Subscribe if you don't mind, guys. Greatly appreciate it. Tiger says, Jeff, and uh, you just mentioned uh, Deshaun Watson. What have been some of your best and worst card investments? So I guess these these aren't li- really the tips you've given out, but maybe if you're investing in all the tips you're giving or you have over the past, why don't we speak to that? That was that was on the, our agenda for this evening anyway, so we may as well hit this one right now, Jeff. Yeah, so before the NBA season started this year, uh, and I mean, we're going so we're going back to last year, like, you know, uh, I... I put together, I did a pretty extensive research project where I took, I took uh, advanced analytics from different data sources. Uh, one of them that I place a lot of emphasis on is 538.com, which is Nate Silver's website owned by ESPN. A lot of really good advanced statistical analysis of basketball players. I took advanced analytical projections of what players' careers could do in the years ahead. And then I cross-reference them to the player's card prices. And then I build in certain multipliers. Like, for example, um, I build in multipliers for offensive statistics to favor them over defensive statistics. I build in multipliers for a player's um, uh, uh, a player's ability, a player being on a winning team, a player's ability to potentially rise to superstar status. Anyway, I did. I built out this whole spreadsheet, spent days on it. And I... Uh, it basically boiled down to 12 guys whose cards that I thought I should buy as a result of it. It was pretty spot on. Um, and so guys who come to mind that were on the list, Jamal Murray was high on the list. And he was a guy that you go back before last season. I mean, people were not buying Jamal Murray. People were really not paying any attention to Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray's, pri- Jamal Murray's prices were dirt cheap. I was buying Jamal Murray because my calculations were like, wait a minute, this guy, this guy's got all kinds of potential, sleeping giant, you know, Denver, pretty good team, all this kind of stuff. Donovan Mitchell, another guy that was really high on the list, who's I was buying a lot of his cards. Luca, of course, was on the list, even though he was already much more of a known commodity. But I bought a lot of Luca cards. His cards obviously went up as well. Um, who else was on the list? Jason Tatum was on the list. Uh, he scored pretty highly on the list. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, who we talked about earlier, his cards didn't do as much, um, but he was the guy who the, the, you know, really highly rated Jared Jackson Jr. Uh, was another guy on that list who, who, who came out with a really high rating. So, and, and his cards have gone up a lot this year. So, um, I would say most of my big investing wins have come in, in the form of buying, uh, younger basketball players and and hitting on you know some of those players and kind of rising you know rising the price ascent up. Yeah. Um, but I've had misses. Uh, I've had misses before this NBA season. I also did a separate project where I analyzed what teams I thought could be um, breakout teams this season, and then I you know what player am I going to invest in these teams. So uh, I, I would very correctly uh, identified that I thought the Miami Heat 
had a good chance of making it to the East finals and maybe advancing to the NBA finals. And so I was like, I, I want to invest in the heat because I think the heat actually have a lot of pieces. Unfortunately, I totally whiffed on the heat player to invest in. Right. I mean, obviously I could have, there was a lot of them I could have chosen from. I could have bought Jimmy Butler. I could have bought Tyler here. I could have bought Bam out of Bayou. In, instead, I chose to invest in uh, Justi Justice Winslow. So I, I went as far as buying his National Treasures RPA numbered one of five. I mean, you want to talk about the Emerald RPA, you know, you want to talk about like one of the premier cards in existence. Yeah. <laughs> wrong guy he's not even on the heat anymore wrong guy to buy you know so it's like ah oh, so that, i mean that's one that i'm sure you know whatever i paid for that card a year ago it's one of the few basketball cards that has probably actually gone down in value over the last year well you can't win them all but at least you stepped up to the plate made it made a decision put some money out there and and you know went with your gut on it you're not going to make it and you know what you'll be better for it moving forward you'll think a little bit harder next time you you make that sort of play i i gotta think uh ad tree for life says jeff made a post about fantasy football potentially skewing values on cards but i'm curious where you stand jeremy my chance to talk for a second um and you know what my thoughts are that i'm surprised it took it took so long for fantasy sports to have an effect on cards because i'm somebody who's gone into hockey pools and football pools over the years uh fantasy and I've always thought it would be so cool to put together the collection of all the players I have on my team for the year and put them away after maybe their rookie cards, something like that. For me, it's actually obviously their rookie cards. And I think that players who perform well in fantasy are, are perfect investment targets for the hobby, especially if they're on your team and you're going to have some nostalgia to go along with it. If you're just looking to invest, I think guys that are year over year at the top of that list being chosen first overall there's a lot of attention put on those players, and I think that they do make for good potential longer-term investments, especially if they're players who can have a longer-term career. Now, I know, Jeff, my, my one of my perceptions, it might be wrong, but one of my perceptions of your approach, Jeff, is that it's it's more of a shorter-term sort of uh, outlook because you're looking at who's kind of who's hot now and you know, may, let's call it a within a year kind of a flip sort of uh that's my perception is that it's more of a within a year type of flip or within a season even. I take a much longer term approach. I'm more of a 10 plus year uh, investor in terms that I will hold my cards for a lot longer. And I'm willing to to go through some ups and downs along the way. I've, I've bought cards at very high prices only to see the market come down, say 10, 15%. That happened to me in 2016, 17. But you wait three years, and now those cards are back in the money. So if you have the stomach to hold out a little bit longer and not sell as soon as the market does take a turn, I think you know you, if you have the if you have the kahunas to stay in it, you're going to realize better long term gains. But and that's just my approach. Can you speak though to my perception on that, Jeff? Because here's an opportunity to may, maybe clarify for me if I'm wrong. Uh, what what is your time horizon that you generally look for when you are talking in your content about players that you think are worthy investments? Oh, I, well, first of all, I own a lot like in terms of dollars, I own a lot more uh, dollars of LeBron, you know, it, it, uh, Giannis, uh, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Kobe, 
Um, so I own a lot more dollar wise of the guys who I would consider to be more established, you know, in their careers. Um, yes, I also own a lot of I, I enjoy the the thrill of some of the rookies speculating. So for me, that's fun. So, yes, I also own and I mentioned, you know, a lot of the names, uh, you know, of guys I was buying before the season. Yes, I was also buying Jaron Jackson Jr. And I was buying, uh, you know, guys like that who are much more speculative in nature. Um, and I and I still like doing that because that's that's the thrill element of it. But I but in, I mean, in terms of like actually investing for the long run. Yeah, you're, you're going to be safer to go after the guys who are more the name, you know, the name brand guys who have been around for a while, who whose careers. I, I like a guy like Giannis because he's still he's still there's obviously still a ton of upside in him. Like he's not won a title yet. He's a great player. He's one of the best couple of players in the entire NBA. Uh, but he's got a lot of upside when he could finally get that title or when, or maybe he moves on from the Bucs and gets with a super team at the end of next season. Who knows what's going to happen? But I, I like a guy like that for that reason. Um, so, you know, I, I think I think the key is diversity. Like, I think I think you should diversify, especially if you're in it, actually not just to do short term flipping all the time. But if you're in it because you actually want to start to buy some investment cards that you're going to hold on to for a period of time that absolutely diversify and make sure that you are buying a lot of kind of the blue chip name brand, name brand guys. So I think that strategy makes a ton of sense and I encourage it. It's not as sexy to talk about. And especially when you get into the retired players, the hall of famers, all that kind of stuff. Like it's not as sexy to talk about Wayne Gretzky's cards right now, as it is to talk about a rookie who made noise in the playoffs and his young guns, from 2019 just quadrupled in value that's more sexy to talk about because Gretzky's cars are only going to ever slowly move in price slowly incline or slowly decline they're not going to go up 3x overnight um so it's you know it's not as exciting but it is certainly safer and yeah. if certainly if you're in it for 10 years then yeah absolutely buy buy a lot of the blue chippers the, the Gretzky card has gone up 2x over the course of this year but yes I, I hear what you're saying it's uh but Hey, everything really right. A, a rising tide rise, uh, raise all boats. And that's what we've seen there, I, I do believe. Um, here's at Miles Lane. I like this question. Do you think the future of sports card investing, and I think it's collecting too here, lies outside of eBay and on a marketplace solely designated to sports cards? So it's a great question for you, Jeff, because, you know, you're you're involved in some tech stuff. You, 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 you commented earlier about the immaturity of the market. We are at, we are for the most part at the mercy of eBay and their policies. And a lot of those policies are almost anti-hobby. And I mean, they, these guys took, took part in the, uh, in the industry summit this week already. And they seem, you know, I watched some of their presentation. They, they seem to really want to be a part of this hobby and they, they seem to want to make it better, but there are massive, massive gaps in, in their policies and the way they approach the hobby. Um, can you speak to that? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so I, I so at Sports Card Investor, we formed a great relationship with eBay. Um, they've been, they've, we've been very fortunate that they have wanted to sponsor what we did for the virtual sports card con. And, and by the way, we did, just to be clear, we have never accepted 
sponsorship money from eBay. But what they did for the virtual sports card con when we did that is they gave us over $20,000 worth of boxes to give away, which was awesome. And we're very appreciative of that. And we'll break the news here. We are uh, planning, we're going to be doing a holiday edition of our virtual sports card con uh, December 8th through 10th. And eBay is going to sponsor that as well and come with tons of stuff to give away right around the holidays, which everyone is going to appreciate. It's going to be an incredible event, Jan uh, December 8th through 10th, totally free, 100% free, streaming live on the Sports Card Investor YouTube channel those three nights. Um, so I say that because I, I've gotten to know the people at eBay. And what I will tell you is that the, the, the eBay has new leadership in charge of the sports card category, people that have come in in the last six months. They're not people who have, you know, who they've been at eBay for a while, but they're people who have focused in new in sports cards in the last six months. They genuinely seem to care about the complaints that people have, about the issues that people have, about the refund process that is anti-seller, about the way that people are taking advantage of that, the way that sellers are, are the sellers are getting hurt. You know, so a lot of the stuff that's going on they're aware of it. They're genuinely concerned of it. It is difficult for, and, and, and they tell me that they are really trying to make improvements to all of that. Now, it is difficult to, to turn a, you know, a, a, a giant cruise ship, which eBay is. It's much easier to turn a quick little speedboat. When you're a company the size of eBay, it's difficult to change policies and ways of acting and all that kind of stuff that have existed for many years. So I'm sure they have an uphill battle within their own organization to get that stuff changed. But they seem genuinely committed to doing it. So what I would say is I know that a lot of people, uh, for, for good reason, have concern right now about a lot of that stuff with eBay. I am hopeful that eBay will improve and will continue to hold their position as a true leader, uh, you know, the leading marketplace in the sports card hobby. Um, you know, I, I'm hopeful they will. Uh, at the same time, there are a lot of other marketplaces that have come into existence and that are doing well. And there will continue to be uh, new marketplaces that come into existence and are going to, I'm sure, challenge eBay. You know, there's going to be a lot of startup activity in this arena, in sports cards in general, and also in marketplaces in the upcoming few years. And there's going to be a lot of new money injected into it. So I think that eBay needs to make some of those changes or i do think that they will be threatened uh by you know by other groups coming along yeah i that that's all that all sounds great and i'm hopeful as well uh with the other area that i think i'd like to see something change is just in the transparency you know they've in terms of anonymizing bidders and um and really facilitating a lot of shill bidding that goes on it, it seems like there's just and you know a lot their accusations are thrown out on the regular in terms of shill bidding on some of the most prominent uh, consignment sellers. And I, you know, it's, it's tough to, sometimes it's tough to tell if it's truly uh shilling going on or if it's just new accounts that are getting into the hobby, we're probably seeing more low feedback accounts now that are legitimate than ever in, in you know, since the beginning of eBay really. And so I'd like to see some improvements made there, but I struggle with that desire, Jeff, because if you think of a traditional auction house, it's all blind bidding. You don't know, who you're bidding against and you don't know what you don't you don't know what their max bid is so it's like we we were, eBay gave it to us early on in terms of showing you the 
the other bidders full usernames and you could see who your competition was on certain things. And then they took it away. And I think that's one of the problems is that they gave it to you, they took it away. Now people want it back. But if you compare it to traditional auctions, you never had any of that information at all. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. I agree. It, you know, yeah, that's true. That's a fair point. People forget that eBay was the disruptor. They were the one, I mean, you're going back 20 years ago now, but they were the one who came in and changed everything in a very positive way for the hobby and put pressure on the traditional auction houses and all that kind of stuff, which was a not as good of an experience for people. Now, people want something better than what eBay is currently doing with their practices. And, and there should it should be improved. It, it show bidding is a is a problem. It's got to be fixed. People returning items just because prices went down, and they get the luxury of twenty nine days later deciding the price of a card went down, so they're going to return it. They would one hundred percent need to end that without a doubt. And 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 hopefully they will. Uh, and I believe that they will because as I said, I believe they've got a good management team. And if they don't, then I someone's going to come along and end it for them because there will be another startup in the space that will that will catch fire. And there definitely are already startups that are trying to take some of that pie away from them and some of that market share. And I think some of them will will be successful in, in carving out a niche for themselves. Uh, Patrick wants to thank me a million for the Maguire ship. I'm going to give it again. We've got people coming in and out of the room here, out of the show. So this stuff right here, everybody, if I can if I can bring my my audience, uh, Jeff Wilson, and uh, and I can maybe I can bring something to Jeff's audience that came here. This stuff here again, if you put a dollop of this on your scratched or scuffed up slab, and you put a little bit of elbow grease into it with a piece of paper towel, it will clean up your slabs very very nicely. I've I've received some that were just messed up, and you you know you rub all the whole surface t- front uh, top and bottom, and it will clean up your slabs quite nicely. So. It's called Meguiar's Scratch X 2.0. It's like $15 on Amazon. There's our public service announcement for the evening, Jeff. I hope uh, some people make good use of that. Yeah, and that's a, that's news <laughs> to me too. I didn't know that either. So I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the tip on that. Yeah, no, my my pleasure for sure. Ziggy No jumps in and says, boom, December 8th to 10th, exclusive here on Sports Cards Live for the upcoming, what do you call it? The virtual con, the virtual hobby con? What, what is it called exactly? The vir- yeah, the Virtual Sports Card Con. And we did one over the summer. It was really successful. And we're going to do another one again, a holiday edition of it, December 8th through 10th. Uh, and I think it's going to be great. We're going to – everything good about the last one is going to get even better because we, we, we had the experience of the last one, so now we can improve it. Uh, we're going to have uh, better dealers. We're going to have better um, better guests, I, just bigger. And uh, the dealer, and I should, the dealers and the guests did great last time too, but it's going to just be bigger and grander and better and more giveaways. And just, it's just going to be great. And last time, we, I mean, we gave away some, we gave away as, uh, you know, we had all these free box breaks every night of really high end product. Like we gave away two boxes of National Treasures basketball during the thing, totally for free, thanks to eBay. And, uh, we gave away a box of Spectra and somebody hit a Zion number, gold number to 10. I mean, there was some like really nice stuff, you know, that came for us. So hopefully we'll do that and make some people's holidays again. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Ziggy says, Jeremy, ask Jeff to get eBay on the show for an interview. And Ziggy, there I can you tell you, <clears throat> being at the conference uh, this week and eBay was there, I have uh, I have communicated with with several people from eBay. Going to try and get somebody on. We'll see if, if it happens uh, and hopefully it will. Hopefully it will one, one of these months coming up. Uh, 
AD Tree for Life, uh, who's been on Fired Night, says, uh, if the return time on card grading isn't reduced, do either of you see this hurting general interest in the sports card market? Jeff, why don't you take it? Well, I don't know if it's going to hurt general interest in the sports card market. I think it will hurt. I think it will hurt eBay as a platform if they if they can't address. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're talking about card. I thought we were talking about when I when I saw return time. I thought it meant you know how long oh, you could yeah. you could you could hold a card you bought on eBay and then and then return it uh, if the price drop, which unfortunately some people are doing. No, we're talking about grading return time. Is this going to hurt general interest in the sports card market? Um, I don't know if it's going to hurt interest in the sports card market, but it's not a good thing. Like I, I agree that grading needs to turnaround time needs to be improved. And, um, you know, you had SGC had their moment <laughs> where they were, everyone thought SGC was going to be the savior of grading by being able to turn things around in like two weeks. And everyone's like, and I said, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I said, the moment that people start like thinking like the the moment that many people in the hobby start sending their cards to SGC, their turnaround times are to become worse than PSA or BGS because they actually have less graders. The only reason why they're two weeks now is because no one sends them their cards. So, and sure enough, all of a sudden, boom, this avalanche of cards goes to SGC. And unfortunately now they have even worse turnaround times than the others. So it's like, you know, it's it's a challenge right now. I, I don't know. I, I I hope it doesn't hurt the market. I hope, but I, I hope these grading companies continue to aggressively hire and train and and uh, get get their turnaround times improved. Yeah, I mean that that's that's what it, you know. I I don't think that it's gonna it's gonna um, reduce interest in the hobby, but I think I actually think what it's gonna do is it the cards that are graded already that are out there that's it's like a finite supply right now that supply isn't going up as quickly on a relative basis as it used to because they're just so far behind and it's from what i've been hearing some companies are losing graders so it's i, I don't know how quickly it's going to get better and when they when they bring you know i had jeremy murray who's the vp of beckett grading on the show a couple months ago and he you know he was adamant and, and i believe him they were aggressively hiring but he met he said you know just because you hire somebody it doesn't mean that they're going to start grading cards right away sure they're going to start grading but they're not going to be approved right away it can take right. months and months to get a grader really up to speed so i personally don't think it's going to hurt interest in the market i think it might just focus the interest on the cards that are already graded and that's mm -hmm. Maybe not a bad thing if that's uh, kind of what you are holding right now. So, which I think most of us are. Uh, Sean Robb says, when fund managers approach you about sports card funds, do you see a pattern to their purchase targets? That implies that they are approaching you, Jeff. Uh, several have. It's a thing. There's institutional money coming into the hobby. Uh, there are actually, you know, investment funds, equity groups, that kind of thing that are starting to buy cards. Um, I've seen them either purchasing high-end graded cards, uh, you know, tends to be the more expensive, more exclusive, more rare, higher-end, high-dollar cards. Uh, so they're not buying a bunch of base prism cards. They're buying the gold prism card or the National Treasures RPA card. Um, the other thing is the... Um, there, I've seen them buying seal wax. Uh, there was a there was a fund set up where all they did was buy a bunch of sealed wax, 
So I've seen that. I've seen that behavior as well. Did you see that 1961 Fleer basketball sealed box that's up for auction right now? I forget what on what platform or who's it might be Golden or one one of the big ones. Did you see that? No, I didn't. Yeah, with uh, Will Chamberlain and the Jerry West rookie, that's uh, that should be shattering some records. I have to think for um, not not as much as a sealed case of '86 Fleer basketball like we saw Ken Golden sell earlier this year, but that's a. Um, what a crazy piece that is. I mean, I was thinking about it when you were saying earlier about, about the unopened wax behind you and where you, how you think that that is the, the better investment than the singles. If you could pick up a box of 1961 Fleer basketball right now and hold that, it might be the last sealed box in existence versus opening it and putting out a couple more Jerry West and uh, Oscar Robertson's and uh, Will Chamberlain rookies. But man, oh man, what, a, what, a, what, a, what an asset that is right now. So, you know, state of the market, Jeff, obviously now is a great time to be in the hobby. We're seeing we're seeing gains this year that we've never seen before. It's really showing the resilience of the hobby as an investment. And it's also showing that people love to they love nostalgia. They love to connect with their youth. They love to connect with the athletes and the teams that they cheer for, that they're passionate about. So in terms of state of the hobby, you know, I've heard two things. You would have heard it today with in Brian Gray's address. But, you know, back in the summertime, I had Ken Golden on the show from Golden Auctions back in. I had him on three days before he sold the Mike Trout for just shy of $4 million. And he said that, you know, I, the same conversation, state of the market, where are we at right now, Ken? And he said, you know what? I think we're in the third inning of a nine inning ball game. So I heard that before. But today we heard Brian Gray said, we may only be on the second out of the first inning. Do you remember him saying that today? Yeah. Where do you think we are? And use the baseball game analogy. Are, are we in the first, the third, or somewhere else? And this is speculation, Jeff. So, I mean, sure. we're not, I'm not going to hold you to this. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm more with Ken. I think we're like in the third inning. That's kind of my gut feel. I'm curious what you think. Uh, I... I I mean, I guess it depends when you're claiming the game started, but if we're assuming the game kind of started over the last couple of years as, you know, when prices really started to escalate. So if we're looking at this kind of price escalation thing, then I would say, yeah, I think we're pretty early on. I, I might, I might go, I might go third inning as well, second or third inning. Uh, I might go second inning. Let's say second inning. I think that we have a really strong five-year run ahead of us um i don't know i don't know beyond five years but i think we got a really strong five-year run ahead of us i think you've got enough institutional money coming in you've got enough startups coming in you're going to continue to have new collectors new investors pour in every single month it's going to be a little bit of a domino effect you know as more people get into it they tell more people about it and it kind of starts to expand quicker and quicker and quicker I think we're going to see that for the next few years. Um, what's interesting to me, like, what do you compare to? How sustainable is it? Like, one comparison that I made in my mind is comparing it to the boom of Texas Hold'em poker back in the early to mid two thousands. Because Texas Hold'em poker went from some people played it, but it wasn't very popular, and most people didn't really know how to play it, even though they kind of heard of it before. To poker sets are being sold by checkout at every grocery store in America, like yeah. it, because everyone was buying a poker set and hosting home games and Texas Hold'em poker all of a sudden started showing up on TV 
everywhere, right? Now, what's interesting is if you look at the metrics around poker, it you know it was hot, hot, hot for a few years, and it 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 cooled down, but it did not crash. It cooled off. It 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 cooled off about twenty to twenty five percent, and then it stayed very steady for quite some time in the future. And it actually, in recent years, has it has started to build back up again in terms of popularity. And if you if you use, for example, the attendance of the World Series of Poker main event, the number of people that are buying in to the main event of the World Series of Poker, if you use that as a metric, it actually went up and up and up to this peak, I think in 2006 or 2007, came down about 25%, then slowly climbed for the next 10 or 12 years. And then it actually peaked again and set the all-time attendance record last year, breaking what happened back in, in 2006, 2007. And so maybe this could be similar to sports cards. Maybe we're going to have this big run for the next three to five years. And then maybe we're going to start to cool off a little bit. But I don't think it's ever going to crash. I don't think we're ever going to see this giant up and giant down like we saw in the 80s or 90s. I think there's too many good things about it today. I think it's too alluring today. Look at fantasy sports. It's built up and up and up, and it has it has not really ever come down on the other side. The popularity is super high. is probably only continuing to increase. So yeah. maybe you draw the analogy over to fantasy sports and you say, well, actually, no, maybe this thing's got a 10 or 20 year like of up and up and up. I don't know. Um, but like if you think of fantasy sports, if that were to kind of cool off at some point, it was, it's never going to go down to zero. It's never going to have this drastic thing. And I don't think sports cards will either. So yeah, I think we're still pretty early on. So I guess I guess I'll answer the question by saying second inning. Okay, that good. I want I want to touch on the poker thing. A couple things stick out there. So first of all, you know, I'm up in Canada and hockey's our national sport and the 2004-5 season of the NHL was lost to a lockout. We lost the season altogether. So for Canadians there wasn't a lot on TV. Um, uh, hockey night in Canada, the big Saturday night event. It's been, it's a historically significant uh, uh, night and TV show in Canada was gone. And a lot of Canadians moved to poker. It was something to do quite a bit of time. And myself included, I got a poker group and I, you know, I bought a poker set, of course, and played a lot of poker. Um, but whenever I would go, this is what's, this is kind of what's funny. Whenever I would go to the you know, you're making the analogy between poker and the hobby and fair analogy, maybe a fair analogy. Time will tell. But I, this is what I used to do, Jeff. If I would go to the casino and play poker and I lost $200, $400, I'm not, wasn't a big player, but two, $400 type of thing. I would be very upset with myself because I, while I, while gambling is exciting, it's not really in my nature. I would actually say to myself, well, listen, now, I, now I'm going to replace that money by selling some cards. I'm going to punish myself almost for being mm -hmm for being stupid, going to the casino and risking that, risking some money. And now I'm going to, I'm going to force myself to sell some sports cards to replenish those funds. And boy, not, not, not a good move because selling sports cards hasn't turned out to be a very small, uh, putting in the, in the right column, really uh, sure. looking back in time. But um, I don't know when you mentioned poker, it just made me think back to those experiences I had. Number one, you know, poker exploded when there was nothing else going on. Up here, up here. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, it's interesting. The hobby exploded when there was nothing else going yeah. on because yeah. the economy shut down. Poker maintained, as you said, took a bit of a dip, came back. That's exactly what I see happening to the hobby. I see it. I see it. it it's, you know, it's gone up so much overall as an index, let's say, 
But I do believe that the foundation has been built up higher than it's ever been before. And a lot of that will be will be sustained by a lot of this big money coming in. Because when they're spent, when, when, when the price of the Mike Trout Superfractor goes from whatever Vegas Dave paid for it, $400,000 up to $4 million, mm-hmm. it brings all the other Trouts along with it. it mm-hmm. You know, as, as we've said, a rising tide raises all ships. And so I think that, you know, the, the foundation is stronger. It's higher than before. And it's going to, the hobby is going to continue to sustain. We will see, we will see cycles. You can't deny that. But overall, I think we're going to see it uh, continue more in, uh, along the trajectory that it's been in. That that um, the trend line is going to maintain that upward trajectory is my is my uh, outlook on the future. So we saw you and I were both at the industry summit today. We've alluded to it a couple times already, um, and we talk about this new money. And I don't know if you have eyes into this, Jeff, but you might because you have a mailing list, you have a subscriber base for market movers for for sports card investor. Where do you think a lot of the money is coming from right now in terms of the world? Is it North America? Is it elsewhere? And it's a bit of a, a bit of a loaded question because we heard Ken Golden say yesterday when there was a uh, panel on modern sports cards and how they're taking off, he kind of gave his outlook on it. And I'm wondering if you're seeing something similar to what he's seeing or, or if the audience even knows sort of where all this money's coming from, because it's somewhat of a mystery. We all hear about it, but only I think a few people in the industry are actually communicating with a lot of this new money, perhaps you among them. Brian Gray from Leaf, you know, he says he's talking to these people all the time. But what Ken Golden said uh, to uh, yesterday was that, so I'll answer the question, Jeff. He said that 30 to 60% of bids on his auctions are coming from, from international locations. So outside of the United States. Does that align with what you're seeing with your membership base in your community? No, that struck me as high. Um, I, I, there is definitely passionate interest in sports card collecting and investing outside of the United States. We do... I do have a fair number of members of our Market Movers data platform that are outside of the United States. Um, Australia is actually a pretty big area. Uh, And then we get a smattering of Europe uh, and we get uh, a little bit of Asia. Um, But it's still a a vast minority. Well, of course, I should say Canada. I, I, you know, Canada obviously is 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 big. It's and it's um, all been wrapped up in with the United States and these. It, I mean, we're, we're you know we're right there, we're right yeah. there, right? So it doesn't yeah. seem quite as it doesn't seem quite as exotic, but no, it's definitely not thirty percent. It's a much smaller. I actually don't know what the exact percentage is, but I mean, it's like a you know probably a five percent you know uh, type percentage in terms of our international user base of our product. Um, I now maybe maybe that is not fully representative maybe 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 it's because our youtube show doesn't you know resonate as much elsewhere or maybe when they're searching YouTube, i don't know if, it, if they're searching youtube in the philippines is it is it finding our show i maybe not i don't i don't know i actually never tried that before it's a kind of an interesting question so um so maybe there's some you know correlation doesn't prove causation uh so i i don't know that but um, I'm still seeing it being U.S. dominated, but I do think that international is a rising market 100 percent. Absolutely. And I do know, for example, um, 
I'm friends with one of the biggest uh, soccer breakers, U.S. soccer breaks. Uh, they're here in Atlanta, Austin, great breaker. And uh, a, a lot of his customers, I want to say, I think a majority of his customers are international um, who are buying into these breaks going on in the U.S. for U.S. soccer cards. And he actually has a whole system where because of the international shipping and VAT tax and all that kind of stuff, he actually stores their cards for them. So he actually has a large storage of all of these cards that all of these people have won in his breaks. And then he'll he'll ship them whenever they want them shipped. Uh, but he'll collect them over the course of, you know, many breaks over many months or that kind of stuff. Um, so there definitely is international interest. I'm seeing most of the most of the interest that I'm seeing, though, is from um, white collar professionals. So it's from from the high, the higher dollar investors, the people who are actually putting like hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars into this. Um, I mean, I'm seeing, you know, 40 something, uh, you know, uh, professional men who have white collar jobs and are totally intrigued and swept up, you know, in this as kind of a side project of, of sorts. Um, you know, they 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 love it. So it's it's uh, uh, that's where I'm seeing most of the money come from. And I think they love it because they love sports and they love their teams and they love the athletes that have uh, helped their teams win along the way and all that. Right. It, it, it comes back to nostalgia. I, I'm curious what the re, what the true number is that would reflect the you know, where the market is for sports cards in terms of which countries are really are really feeding it. Uh, Ziggy makes a funny comment in hockey terms is the third inning, the end of the first period. Pretty much, I would have to say it, it, that's pretty much exactly where that would fall. Uh, Ziggy, good, good call on that. Um, this guy's been on fire night says apologies for all the questions, but does Jeff see sports card investor expanding its team outside of Georgia? That's an interesting question. Uh, at the moment, we are, you know, we, we're, we're building a team here, uh, but we're always open to that in the future. So um, I would say we have a jobs email address, jobs at sportscardinvestor.com. Feel free to submit your resume. The, as I said, at the moment, we're hiring here, uh, but that doesn't mean that in the future we wouldn't look elsewhere as well. What are you hiring for right now? <clears throat> Uh, we just hired, actually, uh, we have a new person starting, uh, joining our team officially tomorrow. So, uh, uh, you know, kind of good timing. Uh, he is a uh, graphics, uh, kind of a graphics wizard, uh, graphics and marketing. So he's going to do uh, help further build out our presence on social, uh, build out, you know, help enhance our brand, more interesting graphics. We, we have We have plans of wanting to do a lot more with social. We think that We've got a good uh, Instagram following and a good Twitter following, but we think we can we think we can push a lot more really good quality uh, analytics and information out there that people really enjoy and like getting. And so um, he's going to help with that effort. All right, all right. Simon says we're just at the start of the boom in Australia. Simon's a loyal uh, viewer of the show here from Australia. Simon, great to see you as always. Oh, good evening, million views. Uh, Jake says, Jeff, can we hear more of your story from working at the card shop, please? I think it had to do with your comment about, uh, it didn't, it didn't work out or something like that. Do you, do you, do you care to expand on that or you don't even remember it so far back? Yeah, that was, it was the happiest day and the saddest day of my life all in one. I was 14 years old. I got my dream job, my first job ever, which was working, you know, again, going to work at a local card shop in Sarasota. My mom drops me off because, of course, I was 14 and couldn't drive. 
So she drops me off for work in the morning and I go into the shop and I'm super excited. And it's, I mean, it's a small, you know, a fairly small card shop. And the owner says, you know, okay, here's how the cash register works. Here's, you know, how things are priced. Here's what you do if someone wants to buy a card. And he says, uh, I'm going to take off for a while. I'll see you this afternoon. I was like, okay. So, you know, it's my first day ever working anywhere. And I'm now alone by myself in the sports card store running it. And, uh, you know, we had a few customers come in and out. And then these two uh, kids come in who are probably, I'd say they're probably like 18 years old. They're, you know, like they're, you know, older high school type kids, kind of, you know, honestly, kind of like grungy looking, you know, kids. And so one of them walks up to the counter and starts, you know, they've got these display cases like many sports card stores. And he's, show me that one. Show me that one. Show me that one. Can you show me that one? Tell me about this one. Show me that one. I'm just like running me all around getting all this stuff. Well, meanwhile, the other guy is walking around the, you know, the store has like, it basically has got a counter. And then in the middle, it had this big shelving system with I, probably like wax boxes and stuff on it. And then on the other side, there were like shelves on the wall. Well, this guy's on the other side of the shelving system with a backpack and apparently is just clearing the store out and putting all the stuff in his backpack. So I have no idea. Yeah, I'm 14 years old. This is my first day for working. I didn't even know that this was really a possibility. And so it just so happens that the owner walks back in, in the middle of this occurring. He walks back in the front door from, you know, wherever, wherever he was. And he sees this guy and he's like, oh, my God. And he like grabs him, rips his backpack off, tells him he's going to call the cops. The two kids go running out of the store. And I'm just like, what the hell happened? So then he yells at me and he's like, you these guys were cleaning me out. How did you let this happen? If I didn't come back, I'm like, I had no idea. And he's like, you're fired. Get out of here. I, was, I got fired. Wow. I got fired. My, by the way, only time in my life I've ever been fired, but I got fired on my first day of my dream job, which was working at a sports card store when I was 14 years old. I was devastated. Yeah. I was devastated. You know, I can, but I can imagine the devastation. But as Tiger says very well here, the owner should never have left you alone on the first day. That was ridiculous. The guy, he had to take out his blame on somebody else. And it looks like you got the butt end of that. But I don't know that uh, that, that was so fair. Uh, okay. Um, I want to, uh, I want to, bring this one up here uh where did it go guys one moment uh right here patrick says i'd love to work with teapot and i'm close to grand rapids i just want to mention that i did see uh teapot on your on uh, i believe comeback card investors show the other day and just i just want to pay a compliment i thought he was very well spoken and represented the brand very well and um it, it was a, it was a nice episode to watch so i just wanted to put that out there yeah, he's, um, he's a great, he's a great, super smart guy. Um, he was a member. So here's a great story. I, I hired him because he was a member, one of our first early members of Market Movers, and he submitted the most support tickets. This is a true story. So I was originally, I didn't have a team. It was, you know, when that thing first launched, I mean, I had some developers, but like I was actually personally like reading the support tickets that were coming in and that kind of stuff. And I kept getting these support tickets from this guy, you know, named Tyler. And they were always like, and he was always finding things that were wrong. <laughs> you know, he's like, you know, 
it, and it was but none of the other people were finding him he was just he had such a eye for this stuff and so like in-depth knowledge to like point out these little inconsistencies that i was like "Ooh, i wouldn't have even noticed that myself and so when i needed a hire for the team i actually reached out to him i'm like hey I'm like, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but man, you know your stuff and I would love to have you on my team. Um, and so he had a great job, but we were able to we were able to lure him over. Well, very nice. And I guess he's he's in the room watching right now. He says, shoot me an email. Let's get a coffee. I like it. See, we're creating relationships right here on Sports Cards Live. That's awesome. Teapot in the house. All right. Welcome, Teapot. Great to have you. And maybe one day, Teapot, we can get you on the show and get some more technical talk about uh, sort of maybe behind the behind the scenes without divulging any trade secrets of course but maybe get uh, get you on the show for an episode if Jeff would bless that um okay Jeff listen we are we are at the 2 hour mark right now and uh, I do want to keep it for a few more minutes I have two segments that I'd like to go through the first one is called it's my PC card of the day so this is where I actually show some cards or card from my collection that tie into my guests so we talked yesterday you're an Atlanta Braves fan so I'm going to show a trio of Atlanta Braves cards. I think you'll appreciate these are all from my personal collection. And they are what I believe to be these three guys. Maybe, you know, I think Glavin has a glossy. This, yeah. isn't, this isn't the glossy, but these are all. So you've got the, the Tom Glavin Fleer update. That's the John Smoltz there. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The John Smoltz. Thank you. Yep. The Fleer. I mean, this was from a kind of the, you know, the mass production era, but still a great card of a, of a Hall of Fame pitcher. So I want to show you that one, Jeff. I also want to show you the Tom Glavin from the, I love this design. It just reminds me so much of those late 80s with the score Glavin rookie. And then the last one is this, uh, this to me is a completely undervalued card. Number one, because of who the player is, but number two, that image. It reminds me a lot of the early 50s cards, the mantles from the 52 and 53 season. I mean, his head is smaller, but that swing, it's just a, I think an amazing card. The 91 Bowman Chipper Jones. Yeah, that's a neat one. And and, uh, and uh, if memory serves me correct, the 91 Bowmans, those were the ones that were slightly bigger, right? That's a uh, I think they're I think they were slightly taller. I think 91 Bowman was like, or are they slightly taller than the scores? No, no same size. Okay. It might have been I there's probably yeah. someone in the chat that will that will there was definitely a year of Bowman in the early 90s that I remember this, that there were they were the dimensions on them were different uh, than your normal, which would drive me crazy because they wouldn't fit into 89. the into your boxes and stuff. So here you go. Carlos is letting us know that was 89 Bowman. Yeah, we're getting 89. a bunch of guys. 89, 89, 89. There you go. There you go. 89 Bowman. Yeah, they were yeah. taller. They were Thanks, taller. That, and that drove me crazy. I remember that. <laughs> Everybody's paying attention. Legion makes a good call. Legion says it looks like the Eddie Matthews card. Yeah, I think it's uh I think it's just a really beautiful, beautiful card that does not get the, you know, just the respect that I think it should as far as Chipper Jones rookie goes. I think it's an amazing looking card. It, it's just, yeah. it, it's what a it's what a baseball card to me should like if you are somewhat of a traditionalist and you really enjoyed the vintage stuff. The last card I'm going to show you, Jeff, because you're a big Florida Gators fan. So I was actually chatting with my buddy Carlos last night. We, we looked up who some Florida Gators were. And I happened to have a card of someone who might be the most famous Florida Gator of all time. Do you know who that Emmett. might be? Well, I think you got Emmett, you got Spurrier, you got Emmett. Tebow. It's Emmett. Of course it's Emmett Smith. Emmett, so, there you go. I don't even know what year this card is, but before I show it to the camera, I'm going to let you all know by pulling on my trusty loop and looking down at the – oh, you can see the card. It doesn't matter, but what year is this? 1997. 
1997 Skybox Essential Credentials, Emmett Smith, which is just a stunning car, Jeff. I don't know how much you've looked into 90s inserts and that kind of thing, but I'm sure you're aware of how, you know, popular they are and important they are in the hobby. But this is like, just look at that thing sparkle. It's numbered 37 of 100. And it's my only Emmett Smith card right now. I, I, I did, I was asleep at the wheel. I should have bought his score supplemental rookie card back when it was $400 at the beginning of the year. I didn't. And now what is that card selling for? Probably close to $2,000 right now is, is just a guess. I'll let the, I'll let the, the audience tell us different. So that is my PC card of the day as it relates to my guest tonight. So Jeff, I hope you enjoyed that. Appreciate that. Thank you. You got some good ones there. My pleasure. Thank you. So the, the next segment we're going to do is the Sports Cards Live 5. These are where we go through some questions. It's not really a, uh, a fire round or anything like that, but we're going to ask you some questions, Jeff, uh, in, in uh, succession here. The first one is, what is your favorite card in your, in your personal collection? Uh, what is my favorite card in my personal collection? Um, it would be, I don't know, since we're going to, since we're on the theme of, um, it's, well, first of all, it's hard to pick one favorite. Um, I would, very true, very true. but I will, since we're on the theme of, uh, Emmett Smith, I would say, well, I probably have it right here. Let me see. I've got my Gators box and my, I think it, I think it might be my Tebow box because it is a, um, let's see. It's not in that box. What box is it in here? Take your time. No rush. I'm going to throw some comments. Oh, here we go. That are coming in. This one's pretty sweet. It's a uh, it's a Tim Tebow Emmett Smith. So we're following the Emmett Smith tradition yeah. there. It's a uh, dual on card auto from Flawless uh, Tim Tebow and Emmett Smith uh, gold number to ten. So that that one from a PC standpoint, that one's pretty sweet. I get two of my four favorite uh, Florida Gator stars right there on a one card. So I yeah. like I like that one quite a bit. That's a great um, card for you. For I'll sure. show off one more since, uh, you know, since I am a sports card investor, one that's maybe I picked up recently from an investment standpoint. Um, but uh, it's also one of my favorite PC cards. Let's see if I can find it here. I've got a, I've got a pretty ridiculous Trey Young collection. Um, <laughs> Go for and, it. I'm going to uh, throw this up. D, thank you very much for the congratulations. I, I did purchase a Sidney Crosby uh, card today on, on a Facebook, and I managed to win that in an My first time winning a Facebook auction was today. I didn't even really know how it worked. I, I, I posted at the end, so did I, did I win this? I wasn't even sure, but I did. Thanks for that, D. Nice to know someone's out there watching. So in the, in Trey Young, in the Trey Young world, I've got a few of his um, – I've got a few of his gold cards. I've got his, um, let's see, his Prism Fast Break Auto Gold. So that one's that one's number to 10, uh, BGS 9.5. I have his Optic Fast Break Gold, number to 10 in BGS 9.5. I have his National Treasures, uh, RPA, number to 99 in a 9.5. But actually my favorite Trey Young card is uh, I really like select. I'm a I, I love select courtside, and I recently bought Trey Young's 2018 select courtside gold, number to ten. So that's actually my favorite Trey Young card, and it it it's really really cool, you know, pattern and how it kind of re reflects the light, and it's his it's his uh, PSA ten on that one as well. Uh, it's I think that's like a pop two card, uh, you know, to have that as a PSA ten. Beautiful. Uh, so that one, that one might be my favorite uh, Trey Young card that I own. 
They're really nice. I, I do love uh, what Panini does with those with their gold uh, parallels that are numbered to ten. You know, I'm I, I, I'm in the hockey world a little bit more than basketball, and we have what's called Opeachy Platinum, which is kind of the I would say the parallel to Prism, where you get these nice uh, these nice card stocks with really nice colors and patterns. So really love it. Great stuff there. Okay, question two: What is the highest priority want card for you right now? What's 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 in terms of a personal collection, not necessarily an investment, but something that you want for yourself? Um, I I have been buying a lot of LeBron. I have been tempted with the current price dip going on uh, to buy some more LeBron. Well, I had been buying more LeBron. Um, but most, all of the LeBron that I own, I mean, they're nice cars, but I, I've got, I've got a, a three of his tops Chrome, uh, PSA tens. I've got, I think, gosh, I've got about 10 of his, uh, regular tops. I've got some of his Bowman. I've got some of his Bowman Chrome, but my, I, but I've had an eye on wanting to get one of his, you know, tops Chrome. That's a little more exclusive, like the, the refractor or the black, uh, you know, or something like that. So I would say that I would love to get into a higher end LeBron rookie card um, is probably probably what I would want to chase next. Hey, man. Good choice. Good choice. Where's your favorite place to buy cards, Jeff? Uh, I I do most of my buying on eBay uh, just because it's the it's the largest selection of cards. So I, I do most of my buying on eBay. I love card shows. I bought a ton of cards at the National last year. Uh, obviously very sad that the national, you know, had to get postponed this year. can't wait till that comes back again. Uh, I like card shows in general. There's some that happen in Atlanta. They tend to be on the smaller side, but I like to buy cards at those when the opportunities arise. Um, and you know, I bought cards. There's a lot of great platforms, right? I bought cards on StockX, that Trey Young card I bought on StockX, uh, Starstock. Uh, I bought some cards on ComC. So, um, I don't know that I have a favorite, but I would say that eBay, because of the, vast inventory uh is where i spend most of my time and the general convenience right it's in your well it's, most of these things are in your pocket all the time but it's just easy to it's easy to do we all know how to use it i hear you question four jeff and this is a really great question i ask all my guests these questions by the way but this is a really good one for you because i think you're actually someone who's doing something about this if you could change one thing about the hobby what would it be but don't say bring data and analytics because you've already done that um, if I would, if I could change one thing about the hobby, so I think the direction, well, I mean, there's a few ways you can answer the question, right? Like, obviously I would like the experience to be better for buyers and sellers. I would like people to be less intimidated when they get into it. I would like people to be able to be more aware and more sure that they're getting a fair price on things and sellers to be, you know, more, more, you know, not have crazy returns and all that kind of stuff. So I'd love all that stuff to change. But where I think the hobby is going uh, to a degree that I think is going to be really interesting is I think we're evolving into this. Um, uh, sports cards are becoming more and more like a stock that you should be able to buy and sell quickly. You should be able to trade. And I think that we're going to see more marketplaces and more platforms that really try to speed up transaction time and try to make it possible to get in and purchase cards and then get out and resell those cards in very small amounts of time without you maybe even taking possession, right? ComC already offers this, Starstock already offers this, 
But I think that's just the beginning. I think there's the opportunity to, to for that to get bigger, for that to get more real time, for sports card uh, flipping to have more of the feel uh, and, and the real time nature of of daily fantasy sports. Or if you think about it, like um, the stock investing app Robinhood and how simple it is to get in on Robinhood and buy a little fraction of a share, put $5 in Apple on Robinhood. It's super simple. That's going to come to sports cards. And it's, and I'm not saying Robinhood specifically is, but there are going to be more startups and marketplaces and, 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 you know, and we're involved in some of them that are going to make it easier and easier to transact with sports cards and kind of think of the real time nature of it that way. So I think the more it can go in that direction, and that's not going to be for everybody. You're still going to have a lot of people that want to collect and hold the cards and and hold them for long periods of time. And and that's totally fine as well. But I think the more we can make the marketplace real time, dynamic, fairly priced, easy to get in and out of all that kind of stuff, the more this is just going to be something that everybody wants to participate in. Yeah. You know, I, you have, my mind is going in all sorts of directions thinking about that, but I love the idea of, you know, you talk about Robin Hood or even just a stock, a stock, the stock market stocks trade hands instantaneously. The difference with sports cards is these, these are actual physical items that we want to hold. So if you're going to, if you're going to tr- um, trade ownership instantaneously, ComC offers that quite seamlessly. And they will, you know, they obviously are a depository for these cards. Um, but the, 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 the shortfall there is that they have a lot of cards that just aren't worthy. They're, they're, they, they have millions of cards that are, priced under a dollar. And those mm-hmm. cards are just really taking up precious uh, real estate, I would have to think. So it would be nice to see a system where these, you know, it's just, uh, it's row after row after row of slabbed cards. And I think slabbing is the way to go in that kind of uh, model where, yeah, you can just buy and sell these things and they they trade, they transfer from one account to the other quite quickly. We've seen PWCC do a version of that with their vault where you can just buy a card it goes in the vault then you can list it for sale whenever you want so i think some some entities are working on this sort of thing and even experimenting and doing it and then we have fractional ownership which we won't get into tonight but that's another method of getting involved without actually getting involved if you will without actually holding the card so okay great answer i love it what is your this is this is the the last question for the sports cards live five jeff what is your biggest hobby purchase or sale regret? My biggest hobby purchase or sale regret. Well, I did an episode uh, on how I bought uh, 10 Luka Doncic cards, uh, Prism. Uh, by the way, this was absolutely incredible. At the National last year, I went to a dealer booth and he had, I'm not kidding you, he had 140 PSA 10 Luka Doncic Prism Silver. Oof. 140 Prism Silver, which these cards were worth $8,000 each as of you know a month or two ago. He had 140 of them. Can you imagine how much money that is? I mean, think about that, right? He, mm-hmm. was, he was selling them for $520 each because this was last summer. So, and he was, he had made a nice profit on all of them. He had bought them all 200 bucks, 300 bucks. And so um, I bought 10 of them off of him at $520 each. Uh, and I sold them for $1,700 each. And I was really happy with my 3X return and thought I had done great. And of course, you know, I, I, that was earlier this year that I sold them. 
And then I watched the cards go up and up and up and up and up in value. And then they became worth $8,000. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they've come down a little bit since then. But of course, they're still, you know, worth a ton. And so that might be my biggest sale regret, you know, selling out of Luca too early. Of yeah. course, I'm sure many people have that, you know, those same stories and, and uh, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I have not been selling hardly anything. Um, I have sold a few cards. I sold a few cards during the NBA playoffs of players who were particularly hot. I sold all of my Jamal Murray cards um, during the uh, during uh, Denver's uh, last series right before they got eliminated. Um, but outside of selling his, I sold a few Jokic cards that I had during that series. But outside of selling a few guys in the playoffs, I have sold relatively little over the last, you know, several months just because um, – it's you know i just i have confidence in the future of the hobby so i just don't want to sell much right now who yeah why why, uh, i'm in i'm going through the same thing you you don't want to sell because you're seeing you're seeing dollar signs in the future but sometimes that might be the time to sell we don't know but if you're a collector too and you're okay to stomach some long-term shifts in the market i think you'll be fine so i think it's a good uh, a good position to take thank you for participating jeff in the Sports Cards Live 5. When we get over the two-hour mark, I throw up the overtime banner because we are in overtime, but we're going to keep going for just a little bit longer, Jeff. I know it's late where you are, but you seem to sell some energy. I want to address a few more comments and questions. Uh, AD Tree for Life says, Jeff brought me here, but this stream is fantastic. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, AD Tree for Life. And thank you, everybody who's been tuning in. I do want to thank everybody for coming in. I'm going to say one more time, Jeff. Um, thank you, Jeff, for, for publicizing your appearance on the show. I do appreciate it. I hope this has been entertaining. I hope it's been fun for you, Jeff, fun for your staff that's watching and uh, and fun for the audience and the new audience as well. I do ask you to subscribe to my YouTube channel. I go live every Wednesday and Saturday with guests for interview shows. We have discussion, viewer interaction. It's a lot of fun. And uh, and we'll be, we'll be talking about the virtual con that's coming up leading up to it. And uh, And I look forward to seeing everybody there at that time. Patrick says, Jeremy, before I forget, you're an exceptional host and interviewer. I'm now a subscriber and looking forward to learning more from you and your guests. Thank you, Patrick, very much. Greatly appreciate it. TM, uh, that's Teapot, says the, the uh, Emmett Smith credentials is legit. I just bought a Travis Fryman. Awesome. Congratulations. And you'd love to be a guest sometime. Glad to hear it. Thank you so much, Teapot. We will uh, somehow we'll get in touch with you and we'll figure that out. Simon says, I agree, Patrick. I'm predominantly a baseball collector, but I'm also a sucker for good hobby content and the variety. I didn't know this was about me. Jeremy provides is great. Thank you so much. So here's a question we weren't going to Jeff, how much more time do you have? Seriously, you can tell me anything. I have to wrap it up soon. I've got a, I've got a, I, I have to, I have to wake up with my kids to get them to school in, uh, in about six hours. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so Brian Mills, we're not going to get into fractional ownership, but I will let you know that I've talked about it on, on this show several times. I had the CEO of collectible on the show about three weeks ago. Feel free to check out that episode. We chatted for a couple hours. It was great. Uh, Ziggy, thank you both for time and great conversation. Thank you, Ziggy, for tuning in. And thank you for uh, for really co coordinating uh, Jeff and I getting together on this. I appreciate it, Brian Mills. Thank you so much. Lawrence, thank you so much. Great to have you. Aaron says, I'll go back and watch the first show. Thanks. You're welcome. Legion, thank you for tuning in. Yam, thanks to you, Yam, for tuning in. Thank you, Jeff. 80 Tree for Life, that's because Jeremy has to go off. Thanks. Thank you, name. Tiger says, thank you both for all you do to help grow and make the hobby better for all. You are welcome. I love doing this show. It's so much fun. It, and it, it's great to bring on guests with the energy like Jeff has. And, uh, you know, 
Jeff, even though you're only back in the hobby for three years, you have fast tracked, it seems, and you, uh, but that just goes to show, you know, that you are putting everything you have into it. And I, I greatly respect that, Jeff, that you're, you're really, you're all in, it seems. And, um, and that's wonderful. I look forward to the additional tools that you end up coming out with as the time goes by. School is underrated. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Cooper, for tuning in. Canner, great interview tonight. Nice to see some Michigan in the crowd. Great to see you, Paul. Great to see you as always, guys. We're going to let Jeff hit the sack here. He's got an early morning, as do I. I want to thank everybody again. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe to the channel. And uh, again, the episodes are long. You can watch them in chunks, bite them off here and there, tune into the ones you like. We're going to keep on going. And um, that's it, Jeff. If you hang on right there for a minute, we're going to end this again, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll see you all again on Saturday night. Have a great Thanks, day, Jeremy. everybody. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.